Hello and welcome to Too Fast, Too Forever. There's all kinds of family, we chose this one. This is episode 127, Strange Days from 1995. I'm Joey Lewandowski. I'm Joe Too. And this episode is brought to you by squidcash.org. Squid is a fully featured HTTP 1.0 proxy, which is almost, but not quite, they're getting there, a fully featured HTTP 1.1 proxy. It offers rich access control, authorization, and a logging environment to develop web proxy and content serving applications. Shout out to SquidCash. Shout out SquidCash, and welcome to the Catherine Bigelow episode of Strange Days. I feel like we could probably do an entire lap around her movies those are all like adjacent to our themes in one way or the other but that's all coming up after the break we are diving back into the past when i wrote the i wrote the summary for this i'm like we're going back it's basically back to the future because we're going back in the past <laughs> to watch the movie but it's set in the future but the future that is set in the past is also in the past i don't know you'll yep, hear yep. it after the break joe extracurricular activities what have you been up to since we last recorded uh sports is back football's back at least mm-hmm. steelers played monday night watched that i was excited looked good this is like first week jitters no preseason season and stuff and i was like that was a good night for me so watch football all day sunday watch some red zone oh i didn't tell you what happened so red zone was you know like i have sling right yes i think i've asked you this before but do you get the red zone that i get with scott hansen you get this or we talked about this i think very briefly yes i get the scott hansen okay yeah yeah okay yeah the other one sucks uh, Sling has Red Zone, and like I have the sports package, right? And you have to add the sports package to get Red Zone, and that's like the main thing that I add it for. Zach, like, had mentioned like last week or two weeks ago, he's like something about like Red Zone not being on Sling. Like, how are we watching Red Zone? Like, and I was like, dude, it's on my Sling. He has my Sling. Like, that's how we were watching it. And he's like, oh, but like, it's not on there anymore. And I was like, what are you talking about? And I realized like NFL Network got into like this fight with Sling or DirecTV specifically. Okay. Right? Yeah. And DirecTV owns Sling, right? Yeah. And they pulled NFL Network and Red Zone from Sling. And I just didn't notice because, you know, I wasn't trying to watch it because the games hadn't started. So we start this Sunday and I'm like, I need red zone and like I pay for the thing and we don't have it. And Rachel's looking on Twitter and she's like, sling is just getting roasted right now. People are just like raging at the sling Twitter saying like, how the, how, like, how did you get rid of red zone? I'm going to cancel my subscription right now in like 20 minutes. They somehow worked out a deal when red zone was back on sling. Yeah. Yeah. I I've had in the past where like when I was living with my parents still, and they have Comcast and we would pay for red zone, but like, it would be Sunday morning and, you know, they have like the countdown clock, but it's like 12 o'clock and like yes. channel not authorized. And I'm like, we need to figure this out now. We have an hour. But like, <laughs> I can't imagine like this, the, just working in customer service is terrible already, but working in customer service, like in the hours leading up to kickoff in NFL week oh, one yeah. has got to be the worst. Cause like everybody assumes that they either have it or it works or whatever. And then while most of it probably does, there's probably a good amount where it's just like, oh, no, this isn't working at all what I'm expecting. <laughs> yeah, but this was like – it. the channel wasn't there. Like I had the package. Like Sling and Red Zone worked out a deal between like kickoff and it coming out. Anyways, yeah, so I have Red Zone again. Sling has Red Zone again. The other thing is that we've just been watching more Love Island, which is just getting more chaotic. There's like one girl that's like a giant mess. 
she like has ruined two relationships she was in now already and like everybody turned on her in the house so that's that's enjoyable that's pretty much it oh i got a flat Wait, tire what, uh, what hold on before we get to the flat tire <laughs> what, what who are you me what channel is uh, love island on it's on cbs on like regular cbs like channel two no i don't know is yeah. it channel two for you yeah well, no, I ask you I have Sling, it doesn't matter. No, it's not on Sling. I have all access. I have my friends all access. Oh, you know they're rebranding that to Paramount Plus, right? I saw, I saw Peacock Plus. Yeah. No, not Peacock Plus, um, Paramount Plus. I know, Peacock's I know. A different I was thing, kidding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whew. Just the joke that everybody was like, the new branding system is just add a plus at the end of yeah. it. And, like, that's yeah, your, yeah, yeah. Blame Apple. Wait, so Flat Tire, so who are you, Rachel and or me? No, no, we were just like, we went to go get sandwiches for lunch, and I went up to this place, like, right up the street, and we got sandwiches, and, like, got them, we're driving home, and, like, as I, like, pull onto my street, it's only, like, two, like, five minutes away, right? And, like, as I pull onto my street, the tire pressure light kicks on, and I'm like, oh, cool, like, and it was, like, the first, like, cool day after it had been hot, you know, like, like, we're starting to cool down here. And I was like, oh, it's probably, you know, just, like, the weather or whatever. And I pull into my driveway. And I hear like, like a loud hiss, and I was like, "Oh no, it is not just that." And so, like, I put my finger on it. I could feel exactly where it was because it happened to be like on the top of the tire. I called my buddy down the street, who's a mechanic that's like five minutes the other way, and I was like, "Look, like, um, I obviously can't drive this to you. Can you run down and grab the tire?" And like, I have like a jack and everything here. So like, I just jacked the car up, ripped the tire off. He came and picked it up, plugged it, brought it back today, and put it back on it's good i got so many like i got a disproportionate amount of flat tires but like exclusively when driving around locally like i have i had so many friends yeah. like and i think we even talked about this where i don't drive a lot because i've worked for home worked from home for like the last eight years and i never drove a lot but, like the amount that i drove i would get flat tires and i'm not like a reckless driver so it was just weird but again what you're saying the ones closest to your heart are the ones that hurt you or whatever right just like <laughs> always just yeah puddling around town it's like one street like i drove like right up the street and drove back and like i must have hit like a nail clean because it was like I, I, I could put my finger on it like i felt the hole right like I, but i don't know what happened and it happened and like it was like just enough that i couldn't even drive to him because i was like oh i don't want to drive on it flat you know i got home and the tire was fine and and like as we went out to go get the jack the car was already like completely flat like it was pancaked by the time we went outside so yeah it well. was lucky Fixed now. Fixed now. All good. Anything else of note or no? That was about it. Just hanging out. All right. I have three updates for you. Number one. Cool. Fantasy baseball what? update. I told you already. Made the finals. Whew. Stressful. Congrats. Stressful weekend. You were strung out for a little bit there. I mean, and like the reward is I get to be stressed out for two more weeks, even though now like I am fully aware that I'm the underdog. Like the guy that I'm facing, my friend Tom, is so clearly the best team in the league, which doesn't necessarily like it's hard to say because we weren't playing normally, but like he has yeah. Roto, like basically by every metric, he's the best team in the league. And so okay. I'm not expected to win, but if I do, you know, anything can happen in two It'd weeks. It'd be fun. Yes. Yeah. So like the way that we were doing it as a reminder to everybody who's listening, because the baseball season is only nine weeks. Our regular season is seven, and then the finals are two. We have 12 teams, and so it's not really fair to just randomly face seven teams. Like, how is that fair to everybody? So yeah. what we did is what we call, what I've dubbed the power, or not, actually, I didn't dub it. Other people dubbed it, but the power joeys, where it's basically head-to-head versus every other team every week. And so it's kind of like Roto, but a little bit different, and it's just the way that we scored everything this year. The sample size is 132 times 7, which is 924 games. And the reason I bring that up is because at points this past weekend, I was within a game or tied 
with someone. So like on a sample size Ugh. that big to be within one game is crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. And because each like each sort of subset week is so tightly compacted, if somebody gets a save hold, like it's there's a stack called save holds, which is a combination of saves and holds. If a guy got one of those, my opponent got one, and that gave him like plus four wins. And I was like, oh no, like that's almost like an insurmountable thing to overcome. But luckily, one of my guys, one of my best guys, hit a home run on Sunday Night Baseball, just locked in the win for me. And nice. so I am in the finals right now. So as this comes out, we'll be almost halfway home. But as we're recording, we're only three days in, and early returns are good, but there's still so much time left. So updates to come. But uh, yeah, I made it, but whew, nerve wracking. Yeah, well, I'm glad for you. Good job. Number two, you also know, the sequel to my favorite video game of all time, Spelunky, came out yesterday, this past Tuesday as we're recording, on PS4. It's coming out on Steam in a couple weeks. Do you know the genre, roguelike? Roguelike? No, what does this mean? So there was a game called Rogue. I think this is how it behaved. And then this game, Spelunky, and a bunch of other ones, took similar mechanics and created games around it and then created this whole genre. But what a roguelike is is you go through a world, and essentially when you die, you get sent back to the beginning with nothing. You lose all your items, you lose all your progression. It kind of sounds like the other games that, like, Zack would play, what were they, like the Caveman one? Like Demon's Souls and Dark Souls and stuff? No, it was like this, like, really stupid game that they would, like, you start out and you're, like, naked and you have nothing, and then you have to, like, pick up one thing. Oh, Ark. you get, like, Ark. Yeah, no, it's not Ark. Ark Ark saves, like, Ark, you never lose your progress, I don't think. Or maybe you do. No, this is, like, they're, they're generally speaking kind of retro graphics just the aesthetic that this genre has chosen because it's kind of a throwback to older days where video games were like brutal i was so nervous like my one friend and i love spelunky so much like it's probably both of our favorite games they announced the sequel like three years ago and it kept just getting delayed and it took forever to make because it's essentially one or two guys there's a developer and a composer and then a team around them but it's not a very big team and it just kept getting delayed and then we're we're worried because how do you make a sequel to one of the like a thing that's like almost legitimately perfect? Like a lot of the reviews are saying nothing is perfect, but like if a video game is perfect, it's spelunky. Like it's that kind, it's okay. that good. Reviews started coming out of this on Monday, and they were glowing, and I was like, thank God, exhale. And so it came out yesterday, and I've just been playing the hell out of it, and it is so wildly difficult and frustrating, but in all the best <laughs> ways. And there's cool. so much to explore. And I was saying to you briefly that it is the opposite in every way of the kind of game that Rachel would want to play or that you would want to watch. Like, I think it's fun to watch, but it's mostly fun to watch because the game is so cruel, but fair, but cruel in ways where you're just going to die a lot. Like, you think and you, you have everything right. start over from the beginning? Yes. Mm-hmm. Every time. Every time. And you can open up shortcuts and start the game later in the game, but to beat it... So in the original game, and I don't know how it works in the new one, there were four worlds, and at the end of the fourth world, you beat this one enemy, and after you beat him, it's essentially the final boss, and then you beat the game, right? But there's an actual way to beat the game where you have to go from the beginning and do a series of things, one on each world, and then that unlocks a fifth world called Hell, and you go through that, and then there's a different final boss, and that's how you actually really beat the game. And people didn't discover that for a while. Like, there's items that have these hidden meanings and significance, whatever. There's a bunch of stuff to explore in the first game, and this game seems to be like two or three times bigger. It's crazy how much there is going on. Hmm. I'm sure that there are a lot of secrets decoded on the internet that I just... I'm kind of skimming things, but for worlds that I've been to, like things that I don't know about, I kind of want to keep 
pure and let the yeah. mystery be for now. But uh, like people are saying, how can you review games like this? Because it takes so long. But people are saying, like, I played this for 40 hours and I beat it once. And like a run to beat it takes about 10 or 15 minutes. Like it's not a crazy thing, but it's just <laughs> so, so difficult. Like I can't tell you how Sounds many times terrifying. how many times I start a game and then I take a damage within like three or four seconds and I'm just like, all right, I'm just going to restart. Or like I just straight up die within 10 seconds. Uh, just because I'm doing something stupid or the game, like one thing combos into another and I just get obliterated. So if anybody, I know that I was talking to Dan, our new uh, video game correspondent, essentially Dan the Duke Hayden, and he loved the first one. So he was going to raise this one up. Should Dan be the Resident Evil historian? I like that. The Resident Resident Evil Historian. The resident, resident. Evil we talked about story. this last time. I still don't have a good way to, to describe this. I don't know. I was just kidding. I was talking to him, and he's he might do it, but I'm I'm streaming on Twitch. I'm not. I'm basically streaming on Twitch so like my sister can watch me play. I'm not, you know, going to become Twitch famous. But if anybody wants to watch me die a lot, um, it's Twitch.tv/soul underscore popped. But it's just it's so fun because it's so hard and it's so there's it just I love it. And for something that I was so kind of looking forward to for it to deliver in such grand ways, I'm just. So very happy. That's awesome, dude. Yeah, I dig it. My third thing, and this is a recommendation for everyone, including you. There is a show that originated on Adult Swim that is on HBO Max. It has two seasons. Episodes are 11 minutes each. Have you heard of the show Joe Para Talks With You? No. It's difficult to describe. It is effectively like ASMR the show. It is kind of Mr. Rogers. It's kind of review. It's kind of Nathan for you. It's a very gentle, kind, slow, weird show where this guy just talks to you about different things. Like, he kind of has a TV show, but not mm. really. There are 11-minute episodes, and the first episode starts, it's just called, I think it's, I think Joe Paris Shows You Copper, or Joe Paris Shows You Iron, or something, and he just starts the episode, and he's just showing different rocks, and there's a knock on the door, and this family's like, hey, is now a good time, and they just come in, and he sees that someone has put an open house for sale sign in his front yard. He's like, I guess I have to honor it. And then it just kind of goes from there. And it's just like this weird, because like, you think it's going to be like, like documentary. Like, is this guy with this weird affectation, this weird delivery going to just talk me to sleep every episode? And that kind of happens sometimes. But it's also just this weird, but gentle, and like, in spite of, or in the face of all of the absolute shit that goes on in the <laughs> world, this is such a wonderful, relaxing pleasant experience that's also genuinely funny and weird and like it's adult swim but it's also not really adult swim like a lot of the episodes are tv pg so like that doesn't okay. quite jive but i recommend everyone if you have i think they're probably on adultswim.com or on hbo max there's two seasons if you watch everything it's probably like four hours in total like they're very short it just I give one a shot. Can't for recommend. Sure. I, it's season one is a little bit more standalone. There's a little bit of continuity. Season two is better, and there's more continuity between episodes. But it's just, it's bizarre and just like again, just pleasant and weird. It's I <laughs> I, dig I, it. I think you'll like it, but I think everyone will like it. I I don't know why somebody wouldn't on the other than they're just like this dude is weird. I don't know what's going on, right? But it's just it's so. Fair. And actually, I want to give a shout out to she doesn't listen, but past guest of the show Jordan Pullen Clark told me about this like a year ago. And then one of my friends in a different thread told me to watch it because he was he and his wife were watching it. And I was like, okay. The two recommendations I jumped on board, and man, it's it's great. So we're all watching it now in our tub talk thread. But yeah, it's a highly cool. high recommendation for anybody and everyone. Joe Para talks with you on HBO Max and Adult Swim. I may give that a shot tonight. That sounds like a good thing. I would say watch through. 
because again they're only 11 minutes watch through uh there's one that's like he reads you the church announcements watch through that like that's episode five or six i think like spend an hour if you can and if you're not sold by that point i don't know that you're going to but that is like the episode in season one it's just it's it's so good so yeah cool joe parrot talks with you we have a Patreon page here on the show, TooFast2Forever.com. Shout out to Cassie Wilson, Jake Freer, Ben Milliman, Nick Burris, Alex Ellen, and Justin Kleinman, Brian Rodriguez of High School Slumber Party, Haley Gerbys, Wes Hampton, Christian Larson, Jerry Robinson, and Dan the Duke Hayden. First one is the $5 level or above. All Thank you. you all so much. I, I appreciate you. I realized, I thought in the pinned post on Patreon, we had the lap 8, 9, and 10, but I was talking to the iconic brian high school slumber party rodriguez and he was like where are the themes and i was like i have to find the post because he wanted to submit his lap eight pick so if you yeah. have not sent them in if you're not sure if you haven't if you don't remember what they are just send me a note or you know tweet at us or facebook or whatever you know email whatever whatever so many ways i'll send the things over to you but yeah lap eight starts like in january so lots of time but also start thinking about it you ten dollar a month patrons and again Thank you. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. We also have an email address here on the show, family at cageclub.me. And Joe, we have four emails to go through tonight. Okay. Two were kind of themed. They're from two different people. So two from one person are about separate things, and then two are kind of themed. The first one of those from Alex Ellenin, quite literally a shower thought. Oh, I have lots of shower thoughts. I'm usually listening to Colin Coward, so they're sports thoughts, but yeah. Listening to Minute 85 of the Fast and Furious Minute. So I guess he's listening. You're listening to Colin Coward. He's listening to us in the shower. All right. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. Alex says, listen to Minute 85 of the Fast and Furious Minute, and I thought, would the heists from the first movie be any easier if even one of them drove a pickup truck? Hmm. Yeah, well, mm, it might be easier to get Vince off the truck when he's first kind of tangled. But he's attached, like, by the arm, so I don't think it it would really help that much. There would have to be, like, a really small window where Dom would have had to be in the pickup truck in the beginning. We've seen different heists and action scenes where people are effectively standing on hoods, right? Or trunks or whatever. That's what Vince does. He climbs out of the sunroof. Yeah, but I I think... hmm, hmm, I'm saying getting him back. Yeah, I think once he's on there, I don't think it matters. I think you just need to get him off safely. I don't think having a bed, because it's like, he could jump. It's just the the fact that he's tied up. And I honestly don't... like. I'm so... I don't want to say invested in the minute, and we're going to get to another minute here where, like, Vince is still not rescued, but I don't remember specifically how he comes unhooked. Because I've seen these minutes leading up to it so many times now that I'm like, he's so he's so wired up there. I don't know. I don't know how you do it. <laughs> You're gonna be surprised when he comes down. I'm not. Gonna, I'm gonna be like, oh yeah, right, okay, yeah. But like, I, I if, you, <laughs> if you if you offer me a lot of money right now, I'd be like, I don't remember. Because the thing is, like, we focus so hard. Yeah, I do get surprised by some minutes. Like, some scene will change, and I'll be like, I totally forgot about this part. Yeah. Because, like, you're just so invested in everything that's been leading up to it. Probably the mount and dismount on a smooth heist would probably be a little bit easier with a pickup truck. But I think the maneuverability, like, you couldn't do a letty and drive under the truck if you're in a pickup truck. Yeah, you definitely couldn't. So, like, I'm assuming Alex is talking about one pickup truck. Like, Dom has a pickup, and, like, Vince hops out that little back right. window and just walks on the truck. Yeah, he said he at least if sh- at least if at least one of them drove a pickup truck. So I'm assuming – I don't think it would make yeah. – although that would be pretty funny to have, like, a, a fleet of pickup trucks heisting a truck, right? It's just like, oh, they're the, yeah. they're the pickup truck gang. Like, that's a – that's like a smoking the Bandit feeling thing. Yeah, yeah, right. 
but he still would have to shoot the grappling hook because the semi would still be higher than the bed of the pickup, right? Yes. So he'd still have that, and he would still get caught, and the caught part is getting down, and I don't think it would really have helped him if somebody had a pickup truck. Facing a shotgun, I feel like you're more exposed on a pickup truck. There's fewer places to hide, I would say. Not that Dom really... has a better chance of getting shot because you're closer to eye level. Yeah. And because he like shoots down and like hits like Dom's hood, but Dom is like under him and he can't really view him as well. His his line of sight's a little off. I think there are definitely pros, but there are also cons. I feel like in the end it's a net neutral. Plus, I think, you know, I think there it's maybe it's it would be pretty funny if it if it was the I was gonna say it's like it's less conspicuous, but or maybe more it would be more conspicuous. I don't know. It would be more obvious or whatever. But I was thinking what if it, what if like one was the racer's edge pickup truck? Did they just like jack that? Yes, yeah. And then it's like, oh, is Harry is Harry robbing trucks now? <laughs> that would have been pretty awesome. We know that Brian drives that truck to scout out Johnny Tran's thing, so I guess it's not out of the realm of possibility. I don't know. I don't know. No. Thank you, Alex. We're going to get more shower thoughts later. Cool. Next two emails are from Jerry Robinson. First up, Pineapple. It says, hey, fam, I love pineapple on pizza, especially with pepperoni, but I'm glad you guys like it. Sorry, Rachel. Yeah, yeah, for her poor, poor allergy. I totally forgot about it <laughs> when we were asking. I got so consumed with the pineapple on pizza idea. I've never had it with pepperoni. I think only with, like, ham or bacon. Probably, I mean, you just need something, like, meaty, to, like something umami. I guess. To balance it, yes. Something to cut the sweetness, right? Oh, on that note, I had this dream last night. I was dreaming of Sicilian cuts of pizza from, like, this place, like, really close to my house in Pittsburgh. Mm. And, like, I woke up just, like, dreaming of pizza and hungry at, like, 4 a.m. for Sicilian cuts of pizza. Was it the last episode? Recently, you talked about how you woke up dreaming of, like, fried chicken or whatever, so you're just having food dreams. It's comforting, right? Yeah. But, like, and, like, I'm, like, in the shit when I'm in these, like, food dreams. Like, I was, like, in this, like, garage. They were making all the pizzas. I was ordering. There was a whole bunch of slices. I was picking my slices, and I wake up, and I'm, like, I'm starving. Like, Rachel makes us eat late, so it's not even like I'm, like, not, like, eating before bed or anything. It's, like... Weird, I don't know. Yep. Jerry says, dead malls are fun, and before COVID, sometimes I drive up to a mall, grab some food, listen to some podcasts, and enjoy it. But one of my favorite spots, just to kick it, is in Pacifica, at Taco Bell next to the beach. And guess what? They serve Ooh. alcohol inside. So tacos Ooh. and beer, which is always fine by me. Yeah, they have it. Like, I think it's called the Cantina. There are, the Cantina. Yeah. We just got one in New Haven. Yep. Like, in the past, like, like actually, pretty much, like, right before COVID, like, around, like, a year ago, we got a cantina, finally, and you can get margaritas and Taco Bell there. But it's downtown, and so, like, Rachel and I never really go there because it's, like, downtown, and then you have to park, and if yep. I was going to be drinking there, then I have to come back, and I'm, like, I'm not going to take an Uber to go party at Taco Bell, so. The marketing heads, effectively, were on my boss's podcast, and what they're doing, they have just so many cool ideas, and they're just... For Taco like, Bell? Yeah, Taco Bell. Like, they just... Yeah. They know that they're... I don't want to say it's like a goofy brand, but they know that what they're doing can be fun, and they're doing a great job with it, and, you know, they had that pop-up. They had, like, a Taco Bell hotel for a weekend out in the desert back in the fall, I want to say. All the food on the menu, like, everything you could order there was from Taco Bell... I think it was like a like a resort package that you could buy for the weekend. Like it sold out immediately, but you know I think they were hosting weddings. Like it's just like this crazy thing. Like people. <laughs> I mean, we've talked about like White Castle. Like I know that past guest and current patron Christian Larson has like an affinity. He and his wife have an affinity toward White Castle, like truly deeply. Where I think they were even considering 
don't know if they were considering getting married at one, but like it was it was playing like a very pivotal role at one point in like their their nuptial planning, planning I think. Uh, <laughs> okay. Or I can email in if that's wildly off base, but I think it's something in that ballpark. People have the same kind of mindset about Taco Bell. People do love Taco Bell. They do. Um, I was I remember like the story of like the Doritos Lo- Locos Taco, and they were saying like they wanted to do it. And it was, like, this, like, huge deal. The Doritos exec, like, the lawyers for, like, both were, like, sitting together and, like, talking and stuff. Like, and, like, the executive was just like, dude, we need to make these fucking tacos. And, like, the Doritos exec was like, I know, it's a good idea. And they're, like, both like, okay, cool. And they were just, like, shook hands and they're just like, we're doing it. Like, there's no, like, we're not even, like, going through the legal bullshit. Like, we're going to do it. You guys work this out. It's done. It's a done deal. You know, because, like, they know the brand is fun. And it's the cool ideas like that that I like, too. I do like Taco Bell. I haven't had Taco Bell tacos in a while because there's just better options but their breakfast like the what's it called everybody says this i never had it the crunch wrap bacon or the sausage crunch wrap with a side which is either the hash brown or cinnabon and a drink which i get like iced coffee is five bucks like it's a good i feel like for breakfast pretty good value any time of the day dude you could go to taco bell like you could be like wasted you go to taco bell you order everything you can imagine it's like 23 bucks that's like, and you're like, you come home, you're like, oh, fuck, I have all this Taco Bell. Yeah. Like, I got yeah. all this food. Remember who held you down before there was Chipotle? Jerry goes on, Ileana and I applied for a new place, has been approved. We can move in in mid-November, so we're excited and nervous. So far, that's all I got. Congrats. I'm nervous and excited at the same time. Be fast and not last. Congrats. Good luck. I'm sorry we had to help you move for beer and pizza with pineapples, but you're a little far, bud. Yeah. So. Yeah. We can borrow Alex's imaginary truck for the heist, and we would have come help you move. I guess teleportation would also work, but time travel or something. We need we need more future tech in the Fast and Furious. So we can get out there, right? So yeah. Why don't you? Why do you need that one? You just need like like a mass mover, like a gun that'd be like, zoop, zoop, and you could just like you know, if we could just like send him the teleporting gun. And he could just move all of his furniture in one by one. Well, I'm just really trying easy. to, I guess so. Yeah, I guess that would also fit. I was just trying to think of things that would exist in the world for our family to use, but they could use that for something, right? Like a heist or something, right? So Remember, remember like that time when the Cisco Thong Song music video came out and those like, like hovercrafts were like a thing in music videos for a little bit? Like, I'm surprised we haven't seen one of those in a Fast and the Furious. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe? It looks like a pontoon boat. It would be, like, like a rubbery thing around the outside, and it would, like, hover on, like, the ground, and you could, like, skate across the ground on it. It didn't have wheels or anything. Hmm. Do you remember this? Not vaguely, okay. vaguely. I would, If I saw it, I would probably remember it, but I can't. I'm having a hard time picturing it just thinking about it. Let me see. Thong, song, hover. While you craft. look that up, I will say... Next email from Jerry, car pick explained. He says, hey guys, you finally did Ileana's car pick. She listened was like, oh my God, they did it. But Lucifer isn't from DC. It's from one of her favorite Netflix shows called Lucifer. Hilarious crime solving kind of religious series. Well, I looked it up to confirm it is. That is, it's the same show. It was a DC comic that they adapted to the CW, got canceled, then Netflix picked it up. So unless Netflix has two different Uh. shows called Lucifer, which I cannot imagine is the case, same show. So it originated with DC. It's the same. It's Vertigo. Like, it's not a DC, like a Superman DC, but it's still the same DC's independent publishing line. So, plus, I mean, yeah. we had that comic book expert on Nico himself, right? Like, it's, you know, if anybody knows, it's going to be him. So, yeah, he seriously does know a fuck ton about comic books. Same like, show, bud. Same show. Lucifer. Did you see the hovercraft thing that I'm talking about? Let I me take a look. Discord. 
Oh, yes, 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 yes. I'm surprised somebody hasn't had one of these. Like, Tej didn't make one of these guys yet. Feels like outdated. I guess they could soup it up a little bit. Yeah. Wasn't there one of these? There was something like this in, in Spy Racers. Was there? I think in the first episode. Don't they, like, jack a boat? But this is, like, specifically, like, a hover crap. Like, it, like, floats up. And Cisco like, drove one on the beach or something in the Thong Song. I want to say that there is something. I don't know that is this, but it's closer to this than anything we've ever had. Aside from maybe the jet ski races in two, but, like, that's not really really mean to the story but i think in the first episode like when we're introduced to the villains in spy racers i think there's something like this we'll find out later this lab we're going to do spy racers with Nico and Kevo, say, but we'll have to see it but thank you jerry and then our last email is also from alex subject line shower thought strikes back <laughs> the revenge of shower thoughts says talking about theories for the franchise going to space sent me on a tangent stay with me what if the okay. franchise actually ended after tokyo drift and everything since is just random sequels that some genius exec was like no that doesn't work but what's the easiest way to make a profit on the script add some car stuff and put it in the fast and furious done so they're all sequels he says so like fast five which is the brazilian job what if yeah. f9 is just the armageddon sequel he says no idea if that's a real thing it was just my original thought says, then what do you guys think 4, 6, 7, and 8 were originally supposed to be? Oh, that's a fun thought experiment. So oh. 4 is kind of a gritty, like 4 kind of feels like a modern, like Taylor Sheridan wrote like Hell or High Water. He did Sicario. I feel like a lot of his stuff, I mean, he also directed a movie, wrote and directed a movie called Wind River in Alaska, but I feel like a lot of his stuff is kind of modern crime, modern Western, a lot of it taking place at the border between Mexico and the U.S. I could see something like that, where it's kind of like a drug trafficking or something like, no, 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 it's just cars. For four, I, it would, it might be like a like a, a Punisher movie or something. Who would be the Punisher? Dom. Feels like, it feels like a, like a dark, like, DC kind of, like, or like a dark Marvel movie, right? Because it's like, but like, somebody that doesn't have, like, superpowers, like, maybe like a Daredevil or something like that, and they're just like, oh no, just add some car shit in, and like, this is what you get. You know, they're like trying to break up a drug ring. That's why I was kind of thinking, like, Punisher, like, he's a cop, kind of. Well, so I'm thinking, like, that's why I was saying Taylor Sheridan, like, a kind of a cartel Mexican vibe. I don't know, I don't know that it's a superhero thing, because I feel, especially if we're looking at the franchise as a whole, Compared to later in the franchise, four is pedestrian in terms of superpowers, right? Like if, if we're gonna exactly, if we're that's gonna what I'm saying. The so yeah, ring is gonna be later, I think, in the franchise. Some guy that doesn't have actual powers, like a la Batman, right? Like somebody that has just like tech and like it's gritty and dark. What about six? Six, seven, eight. So what's at its core? Six is Con Air. No, I don't think so. But with the airplane, I was trying to think of like a good airplane. But the airplane's like chaos. almost irrelevant to most of six. But you just write the pre-story to get you to that part, right? Like, what is six about? Six is about a rival crew. Yeah. Or just a, a, like a, a villainous group of people stealing tech. I mean, it's all stealing tech now. I think maybe a good way to go is based on where, well, maybe not, because Italian job went from wherever they were, California or whatever, to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brazil. The place doesn't matter. We change places in movies all the time. I, it, I think the focus has to be on, like, a mirrored crew, right? Like, you fight the evil versions of yourself. So the, in, the, in that regard, it could be anything. What's the actual... Hold on. Let me read what the plot summary is to six. I feel like we're so in the weeds. Hobbs has Dominic and Brian reassemble their crew to take down a team of mercenaries. Dominic unexpectedly gets convoluted. Also facing his presumed to see his girlfriend, Letty. That is a terrible write-up. Jesus Christ, <laughs> Hold on. Yeah. That's almost, it almost feels more like if Rambo was like a group thing, where it's just like, oh, they're the bad guys now. Yeah. So I'm going Con Air. It's, it's the sequel to Con Air. 
people with cars and shit. Okay, so seven is a revenge seven. story. The whole description is Deckard Shaw seeks revenge against Dominic Toretto and his family for his comatose brother. Which, yeah, sure, but also what? Who who seeks revenge for their brother in a movie? It would be like a sequel to a movie where like the hero, not dies, but like almost dies, right? Where somebody gets their ass kicked, and yeah. then it's a new character who's introduced, who's like, "No, I'm here to mess you up." Come on, man! You got the movie knowledge. Give me some. Give me some something to play with. Give me a direction here. If you have like a franchise, like Mission Impossible, like they would just make a Mission Impossible sequel, right? So like it wouldn't be that. Like I don't think they would repurpose that. I'm looking at the, I'm looking at the box office for the 2000s okay. and the 2010s. Like we need kind of like standalone. No, I don't even think so, dude. It doesn't because. Yeah. Well, because if you think okay. about, like, Italian Job was a standalone movie that they were going to do a sequel to, they scrapped the sequel. Like, that's the premise of what Alex is asking. It's like, what yeah. what is a movie that would have that would have had a sequel? Like, where? That's oh, God. The two thousands. It's it's all fucking sequels, man. It's all sequels. It has been for two decades now. This is impossible to look at. I don't know. Eight is the sequel to The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> Why? Because it's like the man in the sky. And you have to fight them and what's behind the mirror. I was thinking something like hackers or something like tech oriented where they're going bigger or whatever. That There's a new villain in town. There's no tech in Wizard of Oz. Is that what you're trying to tell me? Well, I mean, it's... And you have a bumbly crew, but the, you, I didn't account for the missing baby. Hmm. Toto, <laughs> there you go. It's the sequel to Wizard of Oz. This is hard. I'm not good at this. We might have to... We'll revisit. Let me, let it, give, us a, give us some time to think on it. Seriously. On the spot, it was a little difficult. Alex says, by the way, I loved Tenant. I thought it was better than Interstellar and possibly Inception. Could also be some rose-colored glasses. The last time I was in a theater was Birds of Prey, and it just felt good to be back. Mmm, nice. I haven't seen Tenant yet. I'm waiting. Have you, did you say it? Did you watch it? I'm not going to the movies until there's a vaccine. I didn't know if it came out on VOD or not. I was just like, I'm just waiting to watch it, and no. people have seen it. Yeah. I mean, Alex went, I guess he went to the theater, or he went to a drive-in yes. or something. My friend went to one. I was just like, wait, you went... He's like, I got back from the movies. I was like, you went, like, to a theater? He's like, yeah. I was like, what? Why? Like, what? <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. Okay. I'm guessing it's going to be out on VOD. Like, it's not doing well, and it's making people Obviously. It's making people rethink everything, right? In terms of... Yeah. I got Alex's question on my brain, and I don't have a good answer for him. Um, I'm going to think about it some more, but... It's tough. And also, he didn't. He kind of copped out and didn't give any answers. So, like, he does with answers. Yeah. Like, I would rather have had him give some samples. Alex, this one's on you. My my brain fart <laughs> is on you. I, it was hard. It's a lot of work to put us on the spot like that. And I'd rather. It's okay, bud. Workshop I got it. the. Uh, we'll workshop it. Plus, we'll like, get back it's to it's you. impossible to find movies that aren't Not part of a franchise because everything is yeah. Yeah. Nowadays, brutal. Yeah. Brutal. All right, that's all the emails. Family at cageclub.me if you want to email us, please, and thank you. Please. I have one bit of news. Have you found any other news? And it's not even really news. It's kind of news, but nah. I'll in a second. So, okay, from our friend, not really a friend, pajiba.com, which has okay. hosted several of our past guests. Kristen Schaal. Yes. Do you know Kristen Schaal? Uh, the name sounds familiar. Who is it? What would you know her from? She was the weird groupie on Flay the Concords. She's the voice of Louise on Bob's Burgers. She's the voice of the Triceratops on uh, yeah, Toy yeah, Story. Yeah, 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 yeah. She like, looks like Louise, too. I know exactly who this she is. She was yeah. in... She actually plays George Carlin's daughter, Kelly, Rufus's daughter, Kelly, in the new Bill and Ted movie. So anyway, she calls out The Rock over political inaction. What? Donald Trump tweeted a thing where somebody's yards just had like hundreds of Trump signs. And he says, wow, thank yes. you. Someone, I think a journalist said, this is from 2016. He's tweeting about it again for some reason. So then Dave Bautista quote tweeted, our guy who has had issues before with 
the rock. The Fastiverse. Yes. Yeah. Because he's desperate about Trump. He's lost he he's lost and all his left is very loud, very aggressive, very ignorant base, blah 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 blah. Somebody replies to him and says, Dave, you're in Florida and Florida loves you. He can't win without Florida. What can you help him to win Florida? I guess about Biden or whatever. And he says, okay. I wish I had an answer, but it would sure help if other Florida residents with much larger platforms would stop being so cowardly and take a stance. So then Kristen shots again, but not by name. So then Kristen Schaal says, she quote tweets and just says, are you talking about at the rock? I'm also finding that frustrating. I like him a lot, but he seems more interested in selling tequila right now. Than this article on Pajiba, which is, this is sort of like a little bit of an elevated Buzzfeed essentially, right? Like it's just like, Hey, this is a thing that happened on Twitter. Right. So that's all this is. But then they talk about how he did that whole, where are you speech? Never saying Trump's name, but like, we need leadership, blah, blah, blah. He posted Black Lives Matter on Instagram. He's not doing more than that. The thinking is, what we've said on here before, what we talked about with the Michael Jordan documentary, like, Republicans buy shoes too, right? It's like, why would I want to alienate half my base? But it's like, well, you know, the country's literally on fire right now. People have never hated each other more. Things are going bad. Like, you can sell tequila to everybody, but like, let's fix the planet, right? Like, let's, you know, let's do something. I mean, The Rock's making an effort. What is what level of effort is the appropriate level of effort when he's doing things like also buying the XFL? This article also brings up the fact that people gave Taylor Swift a lot of shit. They're like, you have such an impressionable, impressionable young fan base who respects yeah. you and admires you, and you being silent is not okay. In her documentary, the documentary that came out this year, which is great, by the way, it goes behind the scenes of her two years ago in the midterms saying you should vote for this one person. The person lost, but she like drove such an uptick in young Fervor, people. Yeah. No, in like in registration, in voting. Yep. Like the person yep. lost, but she has also come out very strongly against Donald Trump too. So like him being like, Rocked ooh, I'm, I'm not sure what to say or I don't want to say the wrong thing. It's like it, one tweet is like really all you need. I mean, more would be better. But if he comes out and just says like, this is not okay or whatever, you know, yeah. where are you? Yeah. I'm, I'm calling you out the rock. Where are you? It's, it's a lot of gray area for me. He's not doing nothing. He's not purposely being silent. He supports the causes how overtly supportive do you want him to be? And can you fault him for not giving a response that you want? Yes. Being silent is complicit. I get that being silent is complicit, but how loud do you have to be to be incomplicit? Because I think specifically what her issue was is that because he has political aspirations, him being silent seemingly. on this is not okay. Seemingly he has political aspirations. We don't know that, but seemingly. Well, yes. Yeah, well, yeah. If you become a politician after not having a history of politics it's Trump or Kanye, or it's just like, what the fuck is even happening, right? Like, it's like this, like, this is just what our country's becoming, I guess. But like, if you have a history of like, speaking out of things, like letting people know where you stand, and like, you can be yeah. a Republican, but like, you care about human beings, right? Like, there's... Yeah. All right, Joe, the Ana Lucia Cortez, Leticia Ortiz lost for a minute the episode titled Fire and Water. Fire plus water. Fire-ass water? Fire-ass water. So as expected, this is a Charlie episode, as we talked about last time, and there are trippy, unsettling flashbacks to his childhood pressures. What's weird, and like I know that we say this every time, there's big shit happening on the island. Like, the last episode said, what's it going to take to build an army? And then all we see of Jack and Anna is, like, them collecting water and talking about banging. It's like, okay, like I know that we and can't building do, like, a, a tent. ton of plot, but, like... Give me something. I really thought they were going to lead us into, like, 
preparing for a war at all. And it's like, no, they just hang out in the woods now. And it's like, okay, cool. Do they ever, can you just ask, answer me? Do they ever like answer the like, does she like start to prepare an army? Do they, yeah, there, there's, I want there's, them to let this yes, plot line th- go. Things happen, yes. I'm, I was really hoping that they just drop this. This is one of those things where he's like, we need to build an army. <laughs> if, and in then between like, episodes, okay, he's cool. like, how long would it take? She's like, nah, too long. You don't want to do it. He's like, all right, cool. Like, you're, you're probably right. We should just like collect water. <laughs> exactly that's yeah that's what i was thinking too and like i know that the part of the issues part of the difficulties in making a show like this is having it so that you have to tell stories about all 15 main characters however many people like demand sort of central attention right like you can't just be like yes hey charlie's not in season two because it's like at some point if he's not in the show like you might as well kill him off right because it's like if you're not telling stories why is he even around so I know that you have to do that, but at the same time, I don't know, man, like, especially I think watching for what we're doing, but even independent of that, the most interesting thing in a while is them saying, basically, we're going to go to war and then, yeah, cool, Charlie's having dreams and like wanting to steal a baby and get him baptized. It's like, <laughs> what? I was assuming, because I haven't seen the show before, that this plays into like the army thing nope. later, right? That, like... Not that I remember. <laughs> Okay, I thought that he was just like he he was like they're trying to steal the baby and them coming to like he's having these visions and like them coming to steal the baby is like the beginning of the battle and like and that's what I was like telling myself like oh that's where this play this this is what this side storyline has the place of the in this what I would actually be very interested there's there's a couple little bit of a tangent here that I'm gonna go on so somebody took all the scenes in Lost and put them in chronological order and they called it drumroll please chronologically lost and i have not watched oh. it i downloaded it like it was whoever did it was just like hey i'm not supposed to be doing this but here here's all the episodes of lost in order and they're like you can't yeah you can't do this like take this down but like it's like 60 gigs and i downloaded before i went away is it episodes or is it scenes no it's order? scenes because like as the show goes on i was saying i'm not gonna say really how this happens but like the yeah. mythology gets way bigger and so yep. we the time spans crazy I don't want to spoil, but, like, imagine just, like, the beginning of time to, like, modern day and then, like, the future. Like, it's just, like, how things end. It's yeah, like, It's crazy, yeah. right? So I get it. Okay. Somebody did all that work. It's, you know, every – it's the, it, they don't cut things out. Like, it's all there or whatever. Similarly, okay. but differently, and I think would be interesting here, someone took Twin Peaks and they took the 29 hours or whatever of Twin Peaks, which is a notoriously – you know, like, people love that show, but there's also, like – you would go crazy. You specifically would go crazy watching this show because there is so much like, what the fuck does this have anything to do with anything? And like the answer is, I watched it doesn't some of it. Like yeah, and if you watch some, some of it, it, you probably watch season one, which like makes is like yeah phenomenal. And season two is like what like there's a civil war reenactment thing in the middle of season two that just like we don't have stories to tell. Like it's insane. So what somebody <laughs> did is they took these twenty five hours or twenty nine hours or whatever and condensed yeah. it down to like six. They're like, This is the Twin Peaks story. Okay. I would love don't know that anybody's ever gonna do this because I feel like if they were it would have come out by now. It was, yeah, it would have been done. This lost we're just like hey this is the island and like this kind of has something to do with the island like there's weird stuff going on with charlie but like we don't need this you just ignore that yeah you're just like yeah fuck that we don't need it cool move along like we don't need a diaper commercial in the middle of this thing for uh you all everybody's butties yeah b-u-t-t-i-e-s and also like as much as i like charlie and i like the charlie backstory this one felt kind of redundant it's like okay yeah like you and your brother were on drugs yeah cool yeah we got that again i I think saw it it's the thing where you have 42 or 43 or 45 minutes a week for 22 to 25 weeks to tell a story and it's what do you fill the time with and i love charlie 
but again, not every episode is like a real home run. So I don't know. The Letty standout parts, though, because she's not in much of it again. Just her and Jack are hanging out in the woods. But the conversation she has with Jack, incredible, right? I forgot that this was one of her lines, but this is like an all-timer of a line on Lost that I totally forgot about. It, oh, really? Is it like is it like a popular line with the fans? I don't know the fans, but I just remember, maybe it's just an all-timer with me, but you hitting that, and Jack says, what? And she says, plane crash, you both survive, nice beach, she's hot, you're hot, it's what people do. But I remember, like, she's hot, you're hot, it's what people do. Like, that just, that stands out in my brain. I was like, oh, shit, okay, that's this. Okay, cool. Why does she not have, she needs, like, an assistant or an agent that, like, reads her dialogue and goes, like, absolutely not. Like, it comes in, like, she's not saying this. Get the fuck out of here. Because it's, like, they always give her, like, the dumbest lines. And and the more that we do this lap, the more I see it. So she I think has, like, it is super stupid lines. Dumb lines, but I think what the, maybe the more specific way to describe the line she has is she has the blunt lines. You're right. Somebody okay. just needs to say this, and it's, like, it's part of that, like, Look at Anna Lucia. She doesn't give a fuck. It's like, well, I mean, you could give her nuance or whatever, but like, she's like, she says though, it's on her mind, but like, that's the kind of character. It's not dumb lines, just like, she's kind of stating the obvious when no one else will. Cause like, is what people are like looking at, like, yeah, why aren't you guys fucking? Like, you're both beautiful. Like, what are you not, like, why is everyone on this island not having sex? Like, Hurley's the only one who, like. No, it, there's a difference between blunt and crass though, and they like often give her crass to be blunt. Yeah, yeah. Like, she could be blunt and nuanced. But instead, they're like, you know, don't make me come over there and make you team pussy. And like, this is like you hitting that. Like, come on, man. Like, you couldn't have been like, are you guys an item? Wink. I feel bad for her that she gets I in my in my opinion, I think she gets shitty lines for how, as good as we see her be an actress and other things. I think the one other thing to keep in mind, and this is not necessarily an excuse or a reason why it's still happening. But this is we're watching the show that is in either late 05 or You're early right. 06. And she's only been around for five or six years, which is a long time. But it's not like she has this huge history of tra- track record or whatever. You can kind of go against the grain. Like, absolutely. I'm firmly with you that she can deliver more stuff. Like, our next episode, when we're going to talk about Milton's secret, I don't think it, it's she's kind of like an, a, a supporting character. But, like, it's a different thing, right? Like, there's a whole thing that you can yeah. see where she's doing something else, right? Spoiler, yes. that's the movie we're covering next. Well, you're clear about it yes. at the end. At this point in her career... She's done Girl Fight. She's done The Fast and the Furious. She's done Resident Evil. She's done SWAT. It's like she's only been playing these, like not even just the stereotypical coded male roles, but like the badass alpha, alpha, alpha. And it's she's the one who doesn't have time, like nothing but time, but like she has no time for bullshit, basically. And it's like, why aren't you and Kate having sex? what's going on there and i agree she it's even blunt, said but I, also, I get it i get it just not you hitting that that's the, the these are the qualms that i have it's just the, the word choice is so bad all the time in a certain regard and again i'm just trying to play devil's advocate because like i don't want to just like yeah you're fine it's just funny where it feels like this whole world everybody kind of talks the same way and then she says that and jack's even like what like what like is that is that the is that really the line like oh i guess <laughs> okay, okay what i i really just hope that it's not like like she's like notorious for like Improving lines and like these are always the ones that she comes up with. That's all I. That's all I pray that they're not like, oh, you know, like this is your conversation. She's like, I got the perfect line for it. You hitting that? And he's like, what? 
Like, wow. What I do love about this episode is that this is pretty firmly Sawyer's, like, wheelhouse, where Kate is helping him stretch and kind of rehab his arm, but he sees Hurley and is kind of teasing Hurley. And he calls him Jabba, which is not nice. But, like, this is his just, like, he's in a happy place. He's with the woman he loves. We think he's doing this thing. And he's just like, look over there. Look at Jack. And, like, but he's just kind of like that picking things up, like, roast, roast, roast. Like, this is, you know, classic Sawyer. Like, as much as he, like, was kind of making a jab at Hurley here, he was, like, being a bro. Like, he was giving him good advice, like, here's your shot. Like, she's about to go do laundry. You know, there's your in, bud. Was teaching him how to approach women. Yeah. So that was cool. And what's even funnier and cuter is that, like, Libby is, like, teaching him how to approach women. Like, no, like, I asked you this question. Like, here's what you're supposed to say. Yes. So I hope that works out. I'm, I'm assuming it will. It seems like it will. Is there anything else of note? You talked about the the, the diaper commercial, which is... When he has the first vision, all I could think of is, don't throw the baby out with the ocean water. <laughs> because, like, the baby is just out in the middle of the... I was like, why did we do this? Like, But yeah, Charlie trying to steal the baby 50 times it's, is like, it's dude... kind of corny as shit. Like, it's not great. Yeah. And, like, him... Because the whole thing is... Is he on and drugs? And then he starts a fire. I don't know that this is why there's a fire, but like, there's the phrase baptism by fire, which is not this, but it's like, hey, I want to baptize yeah. the baby. Let me start a fire. It's like, Charlie, that's not, that's not what the phrase means, but I appreciate it. And also, all he needed to do is like, go talk to like Mr. Echo. Like, she's already thinking about the baptism thing. Just be like, hey, go offer to baptize the baby. Like, I had this vision. And instead, he's like, in the most Charlie way possible, is like, oh, let me just burn down the whole campground and like get everybody distracted so I can run this baby into the ocean. You're, you can't baptize it anyway. Like, whatever. I got nothing else to say about this Same. episode. The next episode is called The Long Con, which I'm assuming, I don't remember, I didn't check. Sawyer. I'm assuming it's a Sawyer episode, yeah. I'm or maybe Kate. Yeah. Could be one or the other, but we just had a Kate episode, right? So. Yep, I think so too. I think it's going to be a Sawyer episode, yep. Last thing to do before we take a break is to talk about the Fast and the Furious Minute, Minute 86. A minute I called Mia Take the Wheel. I was thinking like, Jesus, take the wheel. But <laughs> I, I got it, and it's beautiful. Mia, yes, take the it. wheel. You okay? Come on, girl, you all right? Come on, let me look at you. Come on, we gotta go. Let's go. minute leon pulls letty from her flipped car makes sure she's okay and helps her back to his car brian and mia mm-hmm. race by en route to the truck brian looks at them as he passes truck driver fires a shotgun again hitting vince in the side of his stomach truck driver shoots at dom's car once again hitting his engine making it smoke the engine damage plus he's got a sparking tireless rim forces dom yeah. to pull over brian and mia race by dom who's now on the side of the road and pull up next to the truck Brian knocks his convertible's roof out. Brian tells Mia to take the wheel as he reaches for Vince, and then Mia begins to slide over as Brian leans out of his window and begins reaching for Vince. I think it's more of a plot summary than I've written in a while, but 
compared to the last like five minutes, where it's like Vince is dangling and Vince reaching, grunting, and Dom's grunting reaching for him. in car. Yeah, yeah. We haven't seen Brian and Mia in like five minutes. It hasn't been since minute eighty-one. So to see them back, it's like, oh right, True. narrative momentum. There we go. Yeah, we're getting to the end of this finally. Some interesting thing that I noticed. I feel like this is the second time Leon's done the like, we gotta go, go. Like, and I think that that was like right after he did like cops, cops, cops. That would make you sense. Know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I feel like, so I feel like this character has said, like, we gotta go, or like, let's go, like, multiple times in this movie. Well, you know, you know why? Why? Because he looks like a criminal. He's used to, like, running away from the cops. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. He knows. He has intuition about running away from cops because of his criminal background that we've never seen. I do want to say when he grabs Letty, but like it looks like he's not grabbing Letty. It looks like he's like grabbing Michelle Rodriguez. And I don't know if what they were each supposed to do, like their wires got crossed or this is just really good blocking. It seems like he literally is like, no, 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 we're going this way. And like grabs her and like kind of pulls her by the stomach. Like it looks like he actually did that. Like it wasn't like she was going with him. It was like, oh, no, we're going like, this by the way. waist. Yeah. 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 And if she was concussed from the accident, it would make sense that she would be dazed and confused and that he would need to drag her with a little effort. So, yeah. It, yeah. It fits. Intentionally or accidentally, it's great acting, I think. It is. It is. It's very good, yeah. The only new thing that I got this time was that there's a 60 mile an hour speed limit sign. Oh, Because okay. there's no, there's, that, that's what I saw on the side of the road. There's no other cars. We, there's no other cars on the road. There's no distinguishing factors on the road. Like, they drive by, like, a town. Like, you can see, like, a town behind me at one point, but, like, it's just a fucking town. Is this the third time that we've seen Mia drive? She drives after the date. We don't see her drive. We like we in the extended scene. We assume that she's driving in the heist, right? Or she's involved in the heist, but we don't see her in that. She pulls up to Race Wars, I think. I remember going through and like going back and seeing Brian get a ticket and seeing somebody behind. I don't remember. She definitely drives on the date. She definitely drives in the extended scene that like is cut out, but that's kind of like the same type of scene, right? Yeah, and here is like driving, but really, is she driving? Well, not, I mean, especially not yet, where it's like a second and a half of her leaning over. But you know, it's going to get yeah. to the point where she is. But it's it's just funny to me that she is a driver from a family of racers. I guess it's, it's the whole thing. Like I didn't expect this to happen, but he's like, take the wheel. She's like, what? Like what is a car? Like, like basically, like, what, what is what is <laughs> what drive? Is a car? <laughs> yeah, I know. I I thought the same thing. I thought she was gonna. I really thought that I forgot that she was gonna be like, I don't know how to drive. Like the guy in two. And then I was like, oh, no, she drove in the date. Like, she has a car. Yeah. So, like, why? Like, I mean, we knew this, right? But, like, in that moment when I'm, like, rewatching the minute over and over again, I really expected her to be like, what? Like, I don't know how to drive. And he's like, no, just put your foot on the gas. And Anything else of note? Because there's no music. There's no new future Fast and Actions. There's no new clothing things. Like, most of the things. Like, you said... On Facebook, well, like that's you know, there's nothing else for me to do. Well, like, there's nothing for really for me. There's a lot of plot which I captured. I I think maybe the most interesting thing in micro analyzing Leon pulling Letty from her car and just like that little gesture of like actually like no 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 we're going this way. Like I think that's and like spinning her, yeah. And Brian punching his his convertible roof out, but his T tops, yeah. By the way, T top a very 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 common answer in the New York Times crossword puzzle. Oh really? Mm-hmm. That's cool. Like an option on a car or something like that. Like it's like there's a couple different things. It's always it's always T top because like it's it's good letters for the yeah. other way. Yeah. Yep. All right. So trivia question. I don't know if this is great or not, but I think it's okay. Also, given the fact that like a lot happens, but it's all kind of just. But I, my question yeah. is, where does Vince get shot by the truck driver? Hmm. Because like he gets does? shot in the side. Because I think we could say 
his arm, because people would be like, oh yeah, his arm is bloody, but it's just that's just a wire. Yeah, he's hanging by his arm. His side, which is the right answer. I had he never gets hit, which I think is kind of a trick answer. That's a good answer. And then yeah, his I thought leg that he doesn't get shot. I don't yeah, I don't remember him getting shot, but he very clearly gets shot in the side. Like even looking at it, like when you had the question right in front of me, I was like, he doesn't get shot. Like he gets shot at, but I don't think he actually gets hit. But you're right, yeah. And and later, when Brian calls it in, he goes, he has a gunshot wound. Right. So it's also reiterated later. So yeah. I, I want to give credit to this truck driver for being so accurate that he's like, he shot Dom's tire out. He shot the engine out. Made Dom he's pull over. He's shooting with a shotgun. I know, Have but still, sh- like, like, he's... buckshot, he's, dude. It's like... But he's driving a semi-truck and shooting with one arm while a guy is trying to jack his car. Like, it's it's easy to spray and pray but there's a lot going on yeah yeah you're right yeah he's still like driving he's avoiding the cars and like letty's going under him and he has to reload at one point right we see him reload i mean he shoots out letty's windshield from kind of far away like there's he's 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 hitting a lot of things like he's it's buckshot though like if you can if you can do the action of pointing it it's just spraying everywhere but yes i get it's still impressive it is impressive i just think yeah the one hand the nature of it all driving the truck not crashing having people shoot harpoons at you having people slam their cars into you there is a lot going on you're right minute 86 mia take the wheel where does vince get shot by the truck driver his side 86 minutes 97 questions yeah that's a good one too i like that available at too fast to forever.com joe let's take a break and let us talk about Catherine bigelow's strange days episode number 127 strange days this episode is brought to you by squid-cash.org thousands of websites around the internet use squid to drastically increase their content delivery squid can reduce your server load and improve your delivery speeds to clients shout out squidcash.org well shout out squid cash and welcome back to too fast too forever so i was saying we, we watched this movie and I do want to point out right now that I think she listens to these. I'm not sure if she's going to hold off on this because I know when we talked to her on the Resident Evil episodes that she wanted she hadn't seen this movie yet, so I don't know if she's going to wait to see it first. But, like, this is all of Kara's favorite things in one movie. <laughs> Genuinely, like, across the board. And, Kara, if you are still listening, if you're not putting this one off, you will hear. Go seek this one out. The issue is that it's not streaming anywhere and the DVD's out of print. But it's great. I don't know why. How is this not a cult classic? Well, it is a cult classic, and I have lots of background information about this because I want to learn about this. So we'll get into that. This was recommended by your friend Aiden, who you have said before to me. I don't know if we talked about him on here, but you've said that he and I have very similar movie tastes. This is a movie that I had been yes. wanting to see for a while. Again, not that I need a reason to watch a movie, but never had a reason to watch it, and then finally watched it. And even though it doesn't quite fit in with the theme of this lap it almost does and also the at the end of the day i don't really care because i really liked it <laughs> yeah i agree i was gonna say did you like it as much as i did because i thought this was a wonderful movie so thank you aiden for the recommendation yeah when we were talking about this like 
Uh, he was asking me something about why I've been watching so many Michelle Rodriguez movies, much like my other friend. And I told him, you know, our theme of this lap is Michelle Rodriguez and memory loss. And he was like, oh, are you doing like this and this and Strange Days? And I was like, Strange Days. And I sent it to you. And you were like, oh, I've been meaning to watch that. So it's directed by Catherine Bigelow, who directed yep. Point Break, which sort of inspired, not really inspired, but led to the like format, structure, style, whatever of the first Fast and Furious movie. So Catherine Bigelow, her filmmaking is kind of in our genes. Yeah. So I'll give a quick summary and then I'll talk about the, the background stuff that we can get into this. So this is a movie set in the future at the time, but kind of a dystopian future of 1999. It's about to be Y2K. Check it off the yes. box. Kara loves Y2K. Okay, nice. It is a version of Los Angeles's future if after the Rodney King beating and the subsequent LA riots irrevocably broke the city. And I'm not saying that they didn't irrevocably break the city, but like yes. if things were even worse than they already were, like things yes. are very, very bad to the point where like mm -hmm. the police commissioner in this movie is apparently based on the commissioner at the time who like mishandled just about everything. So it's all okay. founded on that. Catherine Bigelow also said that the Lorena Bobbitt trial, the woman who cut off her husband's penis and threw yep. it in a bush or whatever. I don't know the exact details of it. I know that's the lifetime classics no pun intended, that that's also what inspired her for this. So there is a device called the Squid. Shout out once again to sponsor Squid Cash. On your head, it's kind of a skull cap that taps into the cerebral cortex that is able to capture experiences and transmit them to a mini disc and that you're able to watch <laughs> them on another viewer, which is also kind of like a squid skull cap thing. And you're able to yeah. relive and not only sort of see it in VR, but also feel what they feel. And so it's yeah. immersive VR in a way that I don't know that real technology ever will get to. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, Elon Musk is out here, like, having pigs control things with their brains. So maybe. I don't know. <laughs> exactly. So yeah. Rafe Fiennes, a.k.a. Lord Voldemort, he who shall not be named, plays yeah. this former LAPD detective who is now a black market dude who peddles these... Discs, e the experiences. Illegal discs, maybe. But they're illegal because he's like, yeah, they're like, it's it's frowned upon. Right. Because they use the words like, are you wire tripping? And like, he's kind of shady about it. And it's like a black market. It's like, it's definitely not legal. It feels more unregulated than illegal because they talk about how you can get overloaded by watching one of these that's like set to too extreme. And like, it happens a couple times in this movie. Yeah the worst drug trip where people are like, oh no, his brain is broken, he'll never come back, right? It's just, like, it, it can, mm -hmm. you can be overloaded and just never return to reality. He used to be dating this woman named Faith, who's played by Juliette Lewis. Do you know Juliette Lewis? Um, I recognize her, but I don't know what I know her from. So she's a singer from Juliette Lewis and the Licks, so it makes sense that she's also a singer in this movie. She's an uh, actor, she's in Glow, she's been in a bunch of different things. Um, I think Yeah, I think I've seen her in something. Most widely known, I would say, probably from Glow, the Gorgeous Ladies Wrestling, the, the Netflix series. Okay. But she's been in a bunch of things. She might have been the female lead in Natural Porn Killers? She plays this woman, Faith, who is a singer, but also, like, part-time prostitute, right? Uh, kind of? Sort of? She kind of was. She was, like, just doing tricks for drug money. Right. Is what he what he says she did, right? Yep. And so the big narrative push of this movie is that this rapper and kind of activist and anti-police musician, Jericho, has been shot and killed, or he's been, you know, assassinated. We find out that Faith's friend, who was another or she's a prostitute, was wearing one of these squid caps, saw these two corrupt cops played by uh, Vincent D'Onofrio, a.k.a. Kingpin from Daredevil. A.k.a. the guy from Law & Order. 
sure. criminal intent. And also William Fickner, who is the guy who chases in season two of Prison Break, I think chases Michael and his brother, whatever. So yeah. they play these corrupt cops who we later find out eventually shot and killed Jericho and his other friend. And this just prostitute. for no reason. Well, because they, he was very vocally anti-police. They just, you know, corrupt cops took the law into their own hands as cops yeah. want to do. Lily saw this, recorded it. She runs away. They're just going to kill her because the movie kind of opens sort of like very early on. We see these cops chasing this woman. They pull off her hair and she, they find the squid cap and they realize that she had filmed this. She dumps it in our main guy, Ray Fine's car. Sort of the chase is on. We don't really know what's happening for a while. Eventually, we find out it was not Faith's new boyfriend who has become like addicted to, I don't remember what's it called, like the vision, like the, the, the way of watching like all these you know, he's become addicted to like the mini discs. We think yeah. you think for a while. I think it's him, but then you find out that it is actually the main dude's friend, played Which by oh, man. Tom Sizemore, who is yeah. actually the villain after all. He was been hired to clean up loose ends, and he was going to frame Ray Fines. That was like the worst reveal ever, though, because like it was such an obvious red herring that it was like leading to this guy. Because you would, like, see him, and he'd be like, I'm trying to help, but we shouldn't do it this way. And then, like, disappear for a while, and then he'd come back and be like, are we really sure we should do this? And I was like, if it's this fucking guy, I'm going to be so mad. And, like, that was disappointing. I wasn't disappointed by that. I was more surprised that we got a happy ending in the end. I wasn't yes. disappointed by that because I feel, I, you know, he is sort of shifty, but to that end, everyone in this world is kind of shifty. And yeah. there's a lot of divide. I mean, our main character, much like Brian O'Connor is a former cop who is now kind of morally ambiguous, right? And so I didn't overthink Tom Sizemore's criminal intent because it just seems like he's kind of like a dirtbag going to mess something up. I didn't think he was going to be, the, not the mastermind behind all this, but... I did, because once they were like, oh, it's definitely this guy, I was like, it's going to be the fucking friend. I know it's going to be the friend. And I got really disappointed that I had seen it coming. I think the the amount of time between when the movie's like, hey, it's this one guy, and the reveal of Tom Sizemore is like less than five minutes. Like, it's, it's it back is, to yeah. back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All along, so we have uh, Rafe Fiennes, who is playing his character's name is Lenny Nero. The second time in a in this lap that we've had yeah. a protagonist named Lenny, and I don't know how many movies have somebody named Lenny in it, right? But <laughs> I feel like Joey Pants has played a character named Lenny a bunch. Well, no, Joey Pants he says Lenny a bunch because Guy Pierce in Memento. Oh, that's what I'm thinking. Yes, yeah. you're right. Okay, that's sorry. A, that's what that's... I'm saying. The second time in this lap, we had a main character yeah. named Lenny. He's being helped by Angela Bassett, who plays L Lornette. Mace Mason and Mace has sort of a soft spot for Ray Fines because he helped protect. He was sort of a father figure to her child when you know the child's dad was out of the picture or whatever. And she's yes. a limo driver in this bullet-resistant limousine, which is pretty cool. A lot of car sort of stuff. In the end, they win after some straught from fraught tension. Then they kind of end with a passionate kiss, which I was not thrilled by just I'm like I don't know if we need a happy ending but then I read what Catherine Bigelow had said about it and I was like oh okay I, I get that I appreciate that cool I want to know what that is that's interesting but is there any other before I get into the background the info whatever is there anything else about the movie's plot that I skipped because it, it's a long movie it's two and a half hours so there's a lot going on a lot of it is grounded in reality but also with all sorts of sci-fi shit so yes. it's hard to sum up in just a couple of minutes, but anything else major that I missed? No, it's it's like very dystopian, but in a kind of real way. It's like, you know yeah, what I it's, mean? it's like the darkest timeline, essentially. Yeah, because it's like all, it's like, it's dystopian, but it's a lot of like riots and like chaos in the streets and like 
stuff like that. So like you have like oh you can like watch other people's memories, but also it's like the world is crumbling around it, and it's because of corrupt police stuff that we see today. So that was kind of weird and hit hit kind of different right now. Knowing that Faith, the the character is a singer is really really interesting because when i was watching it they have like a few scenes where she plays at this like kind of like punk bar venue type situation whenever they had songs i was like these aren't bad you know what i mean and like i'm so used to watching lifetime movies where it's like they let the lead actress do a musical number for no reason and they're all like horrible i was like oh wow like to have songs that like aren't bad i was like this is strange it doesn't feel right and now it makes a lot more sense that she's like actually a in a band well she's actually a singer and the songs that she sang were written and already performed by this artist pj harvey who was great who's got a great song called the wheel which i love taking existing songs and letting an actual singer sing them in the movie means like oh yeah like they're doing it right yeah yeah it's way different than like they wrote this stupid song for the movie to be like a clip in the movie, right? So apparently I was reading something. I don't think I copied this in, but it was something like they cast Juliette Lewis and they were like, oh, cool. She can sing too. Like it wasn't like they cast it or they wrote it specifically for her or for an actor who could also sing. But I was like, oh, cool. Like we don't have to dub it after the fact because the entire opening sequence, like this whole movie opens in what you kind of think is VR. It's like this robbery of a Chinese restaurant. And yeah. the way that they shot that, and I have some more details I'll go into later, they couldn't capture sound, and so they had to redo all the sound after the fact. Mm. So I'm sure that, like, they were like, oh, cool, like, she can actually sing, we can just put the camera on her and let her sing, and, like, that's, that makes our lives easy. I want to learn how they did this, because I imagine that POV, like, shooting was m- much different in 95 than it is now. Yeah, they had to invent a lot of technology. So here's here's some background. So the movie's okay. title comes from the album Strange Days by the Doors, and the title track off that album you hear a cover of at one point when they're walking through the city on New Year's Eve. So the movie's written by James Cameron, who was Catherine Bigelow's husband at the time, they've since divorced, and was finished by Jay Cox. James Cameron had the idea first in 1986, but then had other things to do, like I think he was working on Aliens at the time, doing all a bunch of different stuff, so he shelved it. Then yeah. he and Catherine Bigelow got together, helped her rewrite Point Break, and then he came up with this idea, or he like told her about this idea, and she loved it. Wiki, or IMDb, says he did what was called a script mint. So generally, when you pitch a movie, and I think it's probably a little bit different for someone like James Cameron or whoever, but like you come up with a treatment, which is kind of like, it depends on the length, but like three or five or maybe 15 pages, like a shorter thing that's like, here's what the movie's about, here are the characters. Like plot it's summary. Not a script, but it's more than that. It's like a more complete look into what it's about. Like it's basically the movie, but not the script. A condensed version of everything, but it's it's everything soup to nuts, sort of like, here's the themes, here's the characters, here's the plot, here's everything. Like this is what okay. the movie's going to be. So there's okay. a treatment, and then there's eventually a script, which is, you know, what they shoot from. But he did yeah. something in between where he kind of did a, a treatment, kind of did a script. Eventually, Jay Cox would take it and turn it into a full-fledged script. And then I think James Cameron did, like, a little bit of a dialogue touch-up at the end. But what Catherine Bigelow loved about it, or loved about the story, was that she said, quote, these two characters... Mace and Lenny. On the eve of the millennium, with one character trying to get the woman who loves him to help him save the woman he loves... 
It's a yes. great emotional matrix. Which I didn't pick up on, and Rachel had to say to me right before the end of the movie, oh, like, she totally loves him. And I was like, I think they're just friends. And she was like, nope, not at all. That Remember that whole scene about where, you know, he's like, how does it how does it feel? Have you ever loved anyone that didn't love you back? And she's like, yep. And I was like, I thought they were just, like, talking like friends. And then they kiss, like, right after Rachel says, I was like, oh, you were right, definitely. No, <laughs> yeah, there's a couple did. scenes in this movie where they're like, oh, yeah, no, she loves him. Yeah, I know. I was just like, I just thought they were like really good friends and she like was like oh man like he you know he's like the bumbling idiot that she kind of takes care of which she is and he is but i thought that it was more of that than they were in love yeah but okay so i will get to that more because there is a definite maternal instinct here too, yes, so, get to that. yes. so okay the pov sequences required well over a year of preparation planning and rehearsal because all of these sequences that you watch through the squid are all first-person POV, because it's literally what a person's seeing. So it's what they're seeing, it's yes. what they're feeling, it's what they're smelling, yep. what they're hearing, all of that. So when you're looking, it's VR, but beyond, right? Like, it's more than just VR. With emotional attachment, yes. Yes. And so the opening sequence, which is that Chinese restaurant robbery, was shot at four separate locations as one continuous, where they have to go through, or they go up on the roof, and they jump over the roof, and whatever, and they fall down. That could not be found. So due to the pace... Soundman could not record any sound. Everything had to be edited in post, which I said. Catherine Bigelow, when planning this out, found that no existing camera system could accomplish the shots needed for these sequences. So the research division at Lightstorm Entertainment, which is James Cameron's company, spent a year designing and fabricating a special camera. So we now know that he's, you know, he invented all these, this tech for Avatar. He's doing all this underwater tech. He's de- yeah. developing new tech. But, like, even back in the early 90s, he's doing crazy camera inventions to, like, make movies happen, which is pretty cool. Yep. Very cool. The camera that they made weighed eight pounds and fit in the palm of a hand and featured interchangeable lenses, remote follow focus, and a video assist, which was needed because the camera had no viewfinder. Also keep in mind that this is not digital. This is actually shooting 35 millimeter film. So like the fact that it's this light and this small is like remarkable. Insane. Yeah. It was mounted on a Steadicam style portable rig, which added stability and mobility, which is similar to the human eye. Did they wear it on their chest or their head? They might. I don't know that they wore it on either. I think they might have just carried it in front of them. Small enough that I guess they could do either. I don't think it's like a GoPro where you're strapping it to your head. Like it's eight pounds. Like it's not, I don't think you're putting that on your head. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Maybe it's like a chest harness that was like raised and would like block your view kind of yeah maybe like a gyroscope type thing like you said like because they're like they're literally like running through things right like they're following they're doing chase sequences with the camera so like you need to see where you're going so so the movie touches on themes of elements or themes and elements of racism abuse of power and rape which we'll get into voyeurism also a major element due to the extensive Mm -hmm. use of squid tech the fact that it was directed by a woman was even more controversial says wikipedia with film critic Michael Mirasol noting that A Strange Days had been directed by a man, many of the scenes would have been criticized as sexist and misogynistic. That might be fair, because like, there's like a, a lot of male gaze. When you can do that, and like, there's now currently, Netflix is facing a backlash about this movie Cuties. Do you know about this backlash? I just saw all the things, because it's like about very young children and like sexualizing them. Right, so the original marketing material was very sexualized, and this movie is about, from what I gather, I have not seen it yet, like it's about, teams. you know, like, dance teams and, like, the sexualization of, like, 13-year-old girls. Take what I'm about to say with a grain of salt, but you can make a movie about anything, but, like, you can't just make a movie about something just to be like, hey, like, let's go make a movie where, like, we, we show how hot 13-year-old girls are. Like, that's not, that's not what I'm saying, but, like, yes. you can make a movie like that if you're commenting on, like, 
how fucked up is it that parents let their daughters and encourage their daughters to do this, right? Or, like, whatever. Yeah. So the same thing here. Like, you could make it's a like movie... A very... It's a very Harmony Corrin type thing that like exactly like if you had Harmony Corrin make a movie about thirteen year olds, you'd be like, oh, that was fucked. But like he could do it because this is the whole like, what is Spring Break like? What is being a writer like? You know, you can make a movie that has rape, that has voyeurism, that has the male gaze, and has violence and racism and abuse of power and everything if yeah. you are able to comment on it. And I feel like yeah, there was backlash against this movie because it felt like people thought, not everybody, there's a real split opinion here, but people thought that she did not do enough to comment on that and seemed to be kind of glorifying it, but she explicitly, I, like, in everything she's yeah. talking about, said, like, that's not the purpose. She did a lot of commenting without doing me, her mono, my brother, or my doctor, my doctor, <laughs> without her being like, look at all this racism here. It's all it's all there, and she just doesn't use the words to, like, say it, right? If you know what to look for, Yes. Yeah, I don't think that this was, like, she wasn't, like, just showing rape and being, like, well, there was a rape. It was, like, there was definitely, like, a purpose. People were, like, upset about it. It was, like, shocking and jarring. Like, it fit the story. Like, it was all there. It just wasn't them being, like, damn, a rape. This is terrible. You know? Like, they they do. People, like, Roger Ebert gave this four to four stars, but there was backlash that people, that it was just glorifying violence and that it was not doing what hmm. it should be doing like it, it sort of felt like it was hey look at this cool technology isn't this fun okay okay and i'm not saying that that you know yeah i, I don't agree with that, that but i can agree. see why people would especially because you know like you said like when i said it like if a man had made this it'd be like oh like why are like because juliet lewis when she comes home from the beach like immediately gets like almost fully naked and just like she's like top us the entire off. movie yeah like essentially she's topless this entire movie that's why i was like wow like that like, not that it mattered, just, like, I was just like, oh, wow, like, you know, because we were just talking about Resident Evil and, like, putting a sheet on her and, like, her not being topless, right? And then we come to this movie where she's, like, all topless, the entire movie. I don't have the expertise or the insight to talk about this at length, but it's, it makes sense within the movie. Like, if this yeah, it is does. about how creepy dudes can be and, like, when he's showing off his tech, like, he's like, hey, check this one out, and it's, you don't see it, but it's a yes. guy experiencing what it's like to be an 18-year-old girl taking a shower. And it's like, yep. oh, like that's exactly where people are going to go the first time. It's like, how can I put exactly. more on it, right? So yeah. that's that's the whole thing. So anyway, there was a long list of people considered for the part of Lenny Miro, basically every 90s action star. Originally, <laughs> Andy Garcia was considered for the part, and Bono Ooh. was going to play Philo Gant, who is Faith's love interest, the guy who becomes obsessed with the tech. But Bono obviously Ooh. did not get in here. That would actually be a really interesting, I think. I think so. Because especially there's a lot of worked. music elements here, too, and we'll get into. And after seeing Pulp Fiction, Catherine Bigelow wanted John Travolta, but eventually they wound up settling on Ray Fiennes, who I think James Cameron was against. But then by having him be so handsome and so, like, empathetic and just so, like, kind of brooding in a way, it made you be like, oh, I care about him and I care about what happens to him. As opposed to just, like, kind of like an action star or whatever. It's just like, oh, just an action star. But here it was a kind of a different, like, softer kind of handsome dude who brought a different kind of character development to the story. Yeah. At least that's the thinking. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's that was kind of the thinking here. I don't know. I feel like you have some empathy towards him. Like he's not like a, he's not like a character that you hate. You're like, "Oh, okay. Like he does some shitty things. He's definitely in the grave, but you're not like he's a complete scumbag, right? Like he is, but you're not like you don't hate him about it." So after all of this, in spite of all of this, all this new tech, all this casting, all the grand ideas for this, this was a huge box office bomb. Apparently the marketing did not know how to 
get this out there. Cost $42 million to make, only made about $7 million back. Oof. Almost derailed her career. Took her another like five years to make another movie before, you know, Hollywood allowed her essentially to make another movie. Some reviewers, like I was saying, praised the gritty atmosphere and the performances by Ray Fiennes and Angela Bassett. Others yeah. criticized it for failing to comment on its violence. Since then, since it came out in the 25 years, its critical standing has improved. It's become a cult classic. At the Saturn Awards, which I think are the sci-fi and fantasy and just sort of like the genre movie awards, Angela Bassett won Best Actress, and Catherine Bigelow became the first woman to win its Best Director Award. So, like, it was well-received within certain circles. But the mass appeal, the widespread appeal, I guess just studio failure to figure out how to get people to see this. Because it feels like coming out a year after OJ, it's both too soon, but also exactly what should be seen. I didn't put that timeline, that chronology into perspective. That was cool. Thank you for giving me that. So it's a year after OJ. So yeah, it, yeah. Or maybe even not, maybe the same year as OJ, because I know that the OJ chase was in June 94, but like, right? So it's it's all in that same time period. So anyway, the only other background that I have about this was about the very end where Angela Bassett and Ray Fiennes kissed and the movie. Bigelow said that over and over again that it did not glorify violence and had a positive purpose. Quote, I wanted to treat the system fairly, because if it's the enemy, then we're the enemy, since by not changing it, we're reproducing it. The film Mm. ends in a strong insistence on hope. Ultimately, it's humanity, not technology, that takes us into the next century and the next millennium. And a lot has been written about Mace being strong but feminine, as she often rescues Lenny in dire situations and shows maternal concern for him. A real contrast between the two characters. Mace is the hero and the moral center. Lenny is the anti-hero. Mace is black. Lenny is white. Mace is hard-edged and reality-based. And Lenny is dominated by fantasies. The film's white characters also tend to be nihilistically concerned with the present, while black characters are generally future revolutionaries. And she says that this is her most personal film. Quote, It's a synthesis of all the different tracks I've been exploring, either deliberately or unconsciously, ever since I started making art. Yeah, it's a good movie with a lot of themes that were relevant in 95 and are still relevant today. Very relevant today. That's was, That was like the most impressive part about this movie to me, is it was like, oh shit, this could be a dystopian universe set 10 years from now, or five years from now. Like the same thing that she did then. Or three months from now, if things go wrong in November. <laughs> Definitely good, yeah. So I just talked for a whole lot about a lot of background stuff, so tell me about what you loved, what you didn't like, some fast connections, wherever you want to talk about, just dive into Strange Days so I can drink some water and catch my breath. One of the things that I noticed in this movie that isn't a fast connection, but is a Too Fast, Too Forever connection, when they're executing Jericho, he references RoboCop like six times. Mm, mm -hmm. And I was thinking that's really cool, and I kind of hinted at this on the intro of the last episode. It was seen there, and then we just watched, you know, Resident Evil, the final chapter, and she does a You're Fired. That was very RoboCop. So I was like, oh, I'm just seeing RoboCop everywhere today, right? Like the past two days. So I felt like, who, who do you think would be our Letty character in this movie? Interesting, interesting. I would imagine it's probably, I think Mace is kind of a combination of Letty and Mia, if they were combined into one character, in that she is maternal, but she's also much more able to accomplish things than Mia is ever given credit for. Yeah. I think that's the easy comparison to make. I don't know. Who were you thinking? I was thinking that the Letty character in this movie, from a different perspective, is Faith. How so? She's, like, independent 
and doesn't really like to be told what to do. In Fast and Furious 6 that we just watched, you see uh, Letty's, like, kind of with Shaw, not, like, romantically, but she's, like, with him, but she, like, has allegiance to Dom and is going to do whatever she wants, right? And there was, like, a line that Faith says that she's, like, I'm a big girl now, I don't need saving. And I was, like, oh, this feels like a very Letty line, right? We don't see it much because, like, Dom is always her savior, but I can imagine a world in the Fastiverse where Letty's like, I don't need saving by Hobbs or Brian or like, cause this is the thing, right? Like in six that Brian's like, Oh man, it was my fault. And she's like, no, I know that I would have done what I wanted to do anyways. I think what's interesting about the faith character in this movie is that she's played. You think she's a lot more sympathetic than she actually is because Lenny wants her to be sympathetic that he keeps watching these old videos, essentially like old kind of whole movies, but they're all these, you know, the the squids where she's in love with him and he's in love with her and he's trying to recapture that. But like, in the present day, like, she could not give less of a shit about him, right? She's like, get out of here, Lenny. No. I don't I don't want you to be around. Which is pretty badass. That's, it's very independent of her. So that's why I was getting Letty vibes from her. But I mean, other than her being, like, a shithead, like, that part, no. It's the independence, but it's also just, like, we broke up, move on. Like, I think it's less of just, I'm my own woman. I, it kind of is, but it's also more just, like, we're not together for a reason anymore. Like, her making out with Tom Sizemore at the end, like, in front of him in that very, like... I don't want to say graphic in like a graphic way, but like graphic in like a overt like let's be let's like both look at him while we're kissing like with wide the most wide open mouths possible, right? Like yeah, that kind of thing where it's it's malicious, like it's independent, but it's yeah. malicious in a way that Letty never is. But I'm saying like change of perspective, like if if there was like an ex boyfriend that existed before Dom, and then like he was still chasing after Letty, and like you saw like Letty and Dom together, don't you think she would do the same thing with Dom? Like, I could see her being like, I'm with Dom now, get the fuck out of here, and be like, leave me alone, like, I'm my own woman, stop trying to save me. Now I'm just laughing about thinking about Dom and Tom Sizemore being the same as, like, no, not at all, not even a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, I know, right? Like, an aloof, like, bouncer, private investigator type situation, you're like, what? So, I commented before about how I was disappointed that, as you said, Tom Sizemore Max was the, like... The, the evil genius behind this, right? And um, how's disappointed in that twist. Biggest twist of this movie came immediately after that. After being summed up to be, like, the biggest shithead in the movie, the police commissioner, he, like, for once does the right thing and he arrests these cops that executed Jericho, like, at the very end of the movie. And I was like, I did not see that coming at all. Like, I thought the cops were free and they were just going to do whatever they wanted. But, like, him to be like, no, the evidence is here. Like, you guys murdered that guy? Like, we're arresting you. I was like, oh, shit. A movie where we see cops, like, have to pay for the dumb shit that they did. That's incredible. Never seen that before. (laughs) This whole movie, I think, is so, to use the word that they talked about, the white characters, like, nihilistic and, like, everything is going wrong. Like, you're, because we're seeing the movie from Lenny's perspective, like, there was no way that I was expecting a happy ending. But then for things to work out, both of the police commissioner, like you're saying, but then with a kiss at the end and, like, not that these cops are going to face trial because William Fickner shoots himself and yeah. then uh, Vincent D'Onofrio basically suicides by cop, but yep. not necessarily widespread happy ending, even though Catherine Bigelow is like, it's all about the humanity and the hope, which in that regard, yes, but it's also, it's more so, yeah, I guess things are not going to be terrible. I don't know. It was I, was, I was sort of blown away by like the two or three things that happened at the end where I'm like, oh, like this is actually kind of uplifting. Like after yep, mostly same. two and a half hours of pretty much eternal darkness, it's like, oh, 
Okay, cool. Actually, now that you said that, isn't most of the movie shot at night? Like, I don't think he's oh, yes. like, awake during the Oh, yes, 77 of the 80 shooting days were at night. Like, it's almost exclusively shot and, you know, takes place at night. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, now that you mentioned, like, the darkness, like, yeah, I was like, oh, fuck, you're right. And then, like, he doesn't wake up till, like, 2 p.m. and, like, all this shit, yeah. That was, like, all of my fast connection type things, really. Other than, like, I just generally love this movie and I'm surprised that I haven't seen it or more people haven't seen it. And I'm excited to play the letterbox game to see like what the like how close I am to how many people have seen it or liked it. Well, I think to Kara's point at the end of the Resident Evil Retribution episode was that as we see in the after effects of this, that this movie bombed and that Hollywood gave her such a hard time getting another movie made. And Kara was talking about the distribution. I don't yeah. have any understanding. Like I was telling my sister last night, she was talking to me about uh, Destination Wedding, a Keanu Reeves Winona Ryder movie. She's like, what do you think of this? I'm like, I think it's fun. She's like, oh, I'm five minutes in and I can't stand either of them. I'm like, like bail now because like it yeah. does not get better because that's <laughs> yeah. the entire movie. Like literally no other character in that movie has a line. The reason I bring it up because I was like, instead watch Before Sunrise, Before Sunset, Before Midnight, which are the same kind of two character falling in love over a course of a movie with nobody else really around, but that's the best version of it. And so I'm like, She's like, yeah. where can I watch those? I was like, well, it looks like the first two are on Netflix, but the first and third are on HBO Max. And I'm like, I don't understand licensing at all. And so when Kara's saying about, you know, female directors having a hard time breaking in and getting distribution, like, absolutely yes. But I also think there's like, like all sorts of complexities here that I just do not understand why the same studio who has the rights to all three of these movies don't put them in the same places. So there's a yeah. lot of politics, not only the gender dynamics of just women not having a fair shake in Hollywood, which is undeniable, but also, like, this is not a movie that Vinegar Syndrome or whatever would ever salvage because it's too good, but, like, I don't know why Criterion necessarily isn't doing, like, a Catherine Bigelow box set with, like, we were talking about how Near Dark from 1987, which is this awesome vampire movie that she made, that's almost impossible to find. And this, like, you can buy the Blu-ray, which I bought the DVD, like, forever ago. You can buy the Blu-ray on Amazon, but it's, like, 50 bucks. Like, it's, like, just aftermarket. Like, it's not $300 out of print, out of print, but it's, like, this isn't available now. You have to pony up to get it. And it's a shame that you can't pay to stream this anywhere, and then if you want to buy it, you kind of have to invest in it because it's, like, it's hard to find, and it's great. So it's, it's not only her. I think there's a lot of movies, but there's undeniably the gender dynamic of it as well yeah yeah because like why isn't this a three dollar amazon rental and like i think a lot of people would really enjoy this movie and like i asked my friends if they had ever seen it i'm like you would really like this you know like and we had to take a recommendation from a from a filmy that like likes more obscure movies to to get it right like so it just feels weird. Yeah, I agree. I don't know why it's not out there. I think there's probably more things at play than we are ever going to be privy to, but it's a bummer because, yeah, people would love this movie. It's important. It's it's fun. And it's I, poignant now, too, yeah. like we were saying, right? Like, it's yep. like you could easily plug this into today and be like, oh, shit, same thing. I mean, I'm sure this is not the first version of this, but it's the citizen journalism, the body cams on cops. It's people filming cops being corrupt, right? Like, it's the same thing we're seeing yeah. all these times. Like, when people today are like, think about all the things that aren't filmed, like, think about all the times in the history that things weren't filmed. But here, at least, with this crazy squid future tech, like, it's filmed and it's captured, and it's not only, like, you're also feeling the actual fear. So, like, even people who are so empathetic, like, I can't, like, just being there in the scene and feeling what Lily feels, it's like, oh, shit. Yep. Lily? Iris. Iris? Iris. I was getting a lot of Matrix vibes, because there's the mini-disc, so, like, in the beginning of the and Matrix, the net thing. when DuJour and that guy show up to Neo's apartment, and he's like, you know, you ever get called? They say, yeah, I know, you don't exist, whatever. He uses a mini-disc, like, it's just, like, just 
purely 90s tech, which is another thing that Kara loves, and just, you know, hackers and the cyberpunk elements of it all. There's also a lot of, like, club scenes and dance scenes and rave scenes, which are also adjacent to The Matrix. Uh, yep. The band, the, the, the thrash metal band Testament is in this movie. That huge party that they throw costs like a million dollars. Uh, Aphex Twin perform there. D-Light perform there. Lady Keir, Doc Martin were all there. The rave was at a, a rave called Millennium that they like charged people to show up and like be at. So for the movie? Mm-hmm. They spent like a, they basically threw a million dollar party and filmed there. And was like, okay, if you come to this giant sick ass party, you also might be in the movie as an extra. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the dopest idea I've ever heard in my life. It was, I think it cost like $875,000 or something like that. Like, it was crazy. Yeah, but can you imagine if they did that now? Like, for, say, like, there's like some parties in, like, Iron Man, right? Mm-hmm. And if you were like, oh, okay, like, we're going to do, like, an MCU thing, but it's set at, like, New Year's. You know, like, Spider-Man's going to be, like, at New Year's Eve in New York City. You pay, like, 100 or 200 bucks to get into this party, it's going to be like a rager on New Year's Eve, and you also are in the new Spider-Man. I'd be like, this is sick. I definitely want to do that. I mean, you're missing the direct comparison. Like, this happened in The Fast and the Furious. Like, Race Wars was this. I don't know that, like, today, I think today, like, I think it's a different climate today. I don't know that it would happen. Like, I think, but probably, like, for huge, like, thousands of extra scenes, like, I think it would probably happen. Like, they paid the extras in, in Race Wars, though. I'm saying, like, if you were to redo this and you do Race Wars again for a new Fast and the Furious, and they had the option of, like, us going to, like, go party. Yeah. I, yeah, if it was, like, 200 bucks, I'd be like, yeah. Like, and we get to go be in the new Fast and the Furious movie, or, like, possibly be in it. And right. you're like, okay, just, you, you would kind of know where to stand to, like, be in the the shot and you just yeah. sign an NDA and in a fucking release form and you're good. I'd be like, yeah, yep. this is awesome. One of the most fucked up things I think I've ever seen in any movie ever is watching the guy who I guess is Tom Sizemore. Yes. Break into someone's house. Yep. Tie her up. Yep. Put the squid on her brain, make her experience what it's like to be raped and murdered. But from his perspective, while he's doing it to her, yes. it's such he's a weird to her, and like it's insane, it's horrifying. Yeah, like that is beyond perverted, beyond yep, irredeemable. It's just like not only am I going to rape you and kill you, but you're going to feel what it's like for me to do that to you at the same time. It's like oh my god. Yeah, it's terrifying. That was like a very uncomfortable, and it runs for like three minutes. It's like yeah. a long thing. And then other people watch it and you get everybody else's reactions from it and yeah. like from the feelings. And it gets to the point where, oh, actually he shows it to him, to Max again. And Max is like, I lost my appetite, but I guess he was like the one that was in it. So because he like he kind of flippantly like just like, oh, yeah, I lost my appetite. like he doesn't seem as shaken by it as you would expect. But you don't realize in the moment why that's the case. Yes. But the guy that's like the like hacker guy that's in the van he gets, like, real fucked up about it. Yeah, he, he his brain breaks. Yeah, eventually, yeah. Speaking of Max at the end, the Tom Sizemore character, I think it's a very cool, like, kind of an all-timer of an action move, even though this isn't necessarily an action movie. Yes. Where Rafe Fiennes gets stabbed in the back. And literally. Literally, and they're grappling, and they're fighting, and then Tom Sizemore, like, gets thrown off the ledge, but is holding onto... His tie. His tie, and then... He takes, Lenny <laughs> takes the knife out of his back and cuts his tie and, you know, sends Max falling to his death. And I'm like, that is so crazy. And just, it's like a diehard, like having the gun taped to your back, but like 
more specific and niche and inventive, I think. It's just, it's super yep. cool. It was so cool. I can't believe that hasn't been, like, stolen from a bunch of other movies. <sighs> Man, it's good. It's good. You know, it was just, like, a real, I was, like, I was, like, oh, like, once he was hanging on by his tie, I was, like, is he gonna do it? And I was, like, this is such a perfect shot. Like, this is, yep. like, it's so poetic and beautiful. Like, I love it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I agree. I, I'm surprised, like I said, maybe, like, it's one of those things that, like, once they did it here, it's, like, almost untouchable. You're, like, oh, it's such a fucking genius idea. Like, we can't even steal it. Like, it's just, it's just too perfect. Like, everybody would know that we stole it from this. Like, even if it's not, like, widely distributed, like, every, like, film guy would be like, oh, the fucking scene from Strange Days. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, there's a lot in this movie, and I think that's to the greater point about why this should be seen, but just the actual filming techniques and the plot elements and the story and everything. It's just, like, people should see this because even if they don't lift things from it just to be inspired by it, it's like, yeah, this should be seen. This should be incorporated into the grander whatever. Yeah. I agree. The only other note I think I have, this is a little bit of trivia, is that Lenny drives a 1997 Mercedes-Benz S500, which I only bring up because the, the podcast we're talking about is on. It was a prototype on loan from the manufacturer, so kind of a cool, oh, that is cool. little car that he's in. But I like the Angela Bassett Mace's bulletproof or bullet-resistant limousine. I kind of wish we had a little bit more time with that kind of perverted... Uh, sex addicted, vision addicted, older Asian businessman who's like got this like scheduled. He's yeah. like, no, I want to go. I want to go to this fetish club. It's just like, okay, like it's, What's it called? That, like... it's called retinal fetish, mm-hmm. which is like, I mean, that's also very like on the nose, but that works. It's like not even corny. It like just makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I wish we did have more time with that character. But I guess dumping him does give us more time, one on one time between Lenny and Mace, and then like when they're cornered and they and the the cops Fickner and D'Onofrio douse their, like, shoot up the car and they don't, you know, get in, whatever. They douse it with gasoline and let, set it on fire and she drives into the water and he's like, also what are you badass. doing? She's like, car's not on fire anymore. It was genius. There was another one. She's like, he's like, oh, fuck, it's going to get to the gas tank and we're going to explode. And she's like, nope, and just puts it in drive, drives off the pier. And she's like, not on fire anymore. We're good. I think that's all the notes that I have. A lot of what I had, because this is one of those movies where I didn't take a ton of notes because I wanted to watch it and enjoy it, but Same. also there's so much going on that's either like, I can either take no notes or like five pages of notes, and I don't want to do the latter. Yeah, I just didn't want to distract myself from viewing it. You're right. There's like a lot of interplay. It's a it's like a longer movie, but the pace is good, and there's like a lot happening. So I agree. I took a lot less notes. This is one that you got to like experience. It's fun. So if you can find it, I would recommend watching it. Highly. Write a note to your congressman. Tell them to keep the USPS intact and also to <laughs> get this on streaming somewhere because it should be seen by more people. Nice plug. I liked it. So let's watch the trailer. This is uploaded by Warley Clarence. Like this is, again, like another indication that this movie is not as widespread. Like it's not movie clips, classic trailers. It's not you know, whatever studio distributed it. It's just Warley Clarence, which is a true romance reference. Strange Days trailer, 1995. It's been seen by about a million people. The first comment here is that Ray Fiennes definitely reminds them of Bradley Cooper. And when I was watching this, I was like, oh, if this was remade, Bradley Cooper would be the main character in this. And I was thinking the same thing. Interesting. Okay. I agree. Three, two, one, play. 20th Century Fox. Yeah, come on, Fox. Like, let's get this out there. Have you ever jacked in? Have you ever and I feel like in? this is already beginning so techy and so science, but like this is what people wanted in the 90s, right? Like this is yeah, giant mnemonic. This is hackers. This is the Matrix jacking in. Like 
life. It's a piece of somebody's life. You can't have, right? The forbidden fruit. Yeah. Straight from the cerebral cortex. I mean, you're there, you're doing it, you're feeling it. Are you beginning to see the possibilities here? That's the yeah. guy who saw the 18 year old taking a shower. This whole movie also takes place over the span of probably like 36 hours, too. Like, it's a very, like, true. December 30th and 31st, and like, just into midnight. Y2K. Oh, I have one more very, very cool bit of trivia that I'll talk to you about after this. Cool. You record it all. This is cool that Angela Bassett's in so much of this trailer. Well, she's so she's second build, and going back to our building conversation, would lead you to believe that she's in it the second most. But like, I'm watching the movie knowing that, and like the first, like 75 minutes, like probably the first half of this movie, she's like barely in. Nope, she's not in it at all. Yeah. And I guess kind of as she appears, Max kind of goes away. The issues whether you're paranoid or not. Yeah, that's fair. No more games. Whatever's going on, you have to get out of here now. Get him out. This trailer is cut in a way that makes it seem maybe just an era I don't know it makes it seem cheaper than the movie actually is yeah yeah I like it looks, see that. it kind of makes it look a little bit more like a B movie straight to home video yeah yeah I think it might be of the era though I think you're right yeah like that's the huge party right that's like that's a crazy rager yeah because, like, either we get every extra in Hollywood to be there, or, like, we just open up to everybody and be like, hey, 10 bucks, have a, you know, we got bands playing, yeah. whatever, come hang out for the day, come, after, come hang out for the night, like, 8 p.m. to, like, 4 a.m. or something. Yeah. This, this part makes it look way more like an action movie than it was. I mean, it does I... kind of condense all the action into two and a half minutes, right? So... Yeah, yeah. Like, it's not not an action movie, but it's definitely not an action movie. Yes, yes. That's what I was trying to get at. It's not, like, an action movie like they're portraying here. So, the coolest bit of trivia that I wanted to bring up was that at one point, Angela Bassett has Lenny against the wall, and she's like, this is your life, and it's happening right here, right now, and that line is sampled by Fatboy Slim. Yes, I was... Fuck! I was gonna ask if that was it. When I heard the line, I thought that. Oh, yes! I was really hoping it was. I meant to look it up in the middle of the movie, but I was watching the movie, and I was like, God, awesome. Very, very cool factor. Because I, yeah. I read that before I saw it, and I was like, that's weird, because like, I don't, when I hear the, when I hear in my head the song, I'm like, it doesn't sound like Angela Bassett. Then as soon as she says it, I was like, oh no, that's exactly what I've heard. It's, you know, it's exactly what I hear in my head. Oh, that is so cool. I can't wait to tell Rachel that one. That's awesome. Yeah. Yes, I thought, I thought it when I watched it, though. I really did. Trust me, I did. Yeah. So. All right, time for the Letterboxd game. So for reference sake, Mad Max Fury Road has been seen by 633,000 people. I think it's been up 3,000 maybe since the last time we did it. Maybe? Yeah. I can't keep track right. anymore. Strange Days, 1995, directed by Catherine Bigelow, starring Ray Fiennes, Angela Bassett, Tom Sizemore, and Juliette Lewis. Average rating of 3.6, actually 3.60 exactly. Most common rating of 4, then a 3.5, then a 3. Has been seen by how many people i'm gonna go oh god this is a tough one Seventeen thousand. gotta go higher really Thirty-two thousand. gotta go somewhere in between one more guess Twenty-five thousand. Twenty-eight. One sixty-nine. so out of those twenty-eight thousand people how many have it in their top four? Oh, um 
eight. Way, way higher. Way higher? Really? Dude, this is a cult classic. That's what we're talking about. Like, people who've seen this movie and love this movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 23. Way, way higher. 58, and that's it. Way 116. Wow! That's insane. That's a ton. That way more than I would have guessed. People yep. love Catherine Bigelow. People love yeah. 90s it's deserved. cyberpunk sci-fi. I agree. I mean, it's deserved. Like, that's totally fine. I'm just, I'm still shocked at how many it is. That's a ton. You've heard the numbers before in this game. Like, it's not, that's a lot. For a movie that you can't stream anywhere, right? Like, what the fuck? Well, again, like, because I think the streaming element, it's the first part of it, right? Like, that number is low because you can't find it, but the people who find it love, love it. it. I was I was almost confident, like, when we did RoboCop, I wasn't confident, but I thought it might be the possibility that when we did RoboCop, I found two or three friends who had RoboCop in the top four. And I was like, I wouldn't be surprised if someone I follow on Letterboxd has this in their top four. And I couldn't find one, but it like feels like one of those movies yeah. where it's the same thing. Like People love Point Break. People love this. Mm-hmm. People love Near Dark. People love Zero Dark Thirty. I mean, The Hurt Locker. Like, Catherine Bigelow makes badass movies, so let her do yeah. more. So I found Cinema Gulp at Anxious 77 on Letterboxd. This film has remained my all-time favorite for nearly 15 years dethroning one that's held top spots such as Blank and Blank, which is still in this top four, before it. There's much debate about the excessive use of violence in the film. To those, I remind you, this was directed by none other than Catherine Bigelow herself. To me, this film embodies everything a filmmaker should strive for. It's beautifully shot, orchestrating all different new types of camera angles, jibs, and the newly crafted steady cam shot. The opening scene is all in POV and is enough to hook just about anyone directly into the plot. You gasp for air at least three times in the first five minutes as the film as well as a shot. It's Howard Smith's masterful editing that glues this all together. And then he goes on and on from there. Yeah. Five stars. Fair. So Cinema Gulp, top four. And I know that they're not movies that we have really talked about, but as number two and number three movies, the ones that I blanked out from that last review, but they're two movies that I have mentioned by name this episode. I probably mentioned like 30 the Matrix. movies. Nope. Hmm. He's got one movie from the 80s, which is one of the movies that I've mentioned, and he's got three movies between 93 and 95. So Strange Days is number one, that's 95. He's got a movie at 93, movie from 94, and a movie from 1986. I know those don't really help you, but I'm also trying to help uh, the people at home playing. But I've mentioned movies number two and number three in this episode. Very briefly. We didn't talk about them, but... Pulp Fiction? No, but close. Uh, Reservoir Dogs. You're equally close, but kind of not going in the right direction. Mm. Although that might that might make it seem wrong. No, no. Um, which one was the one with Woody Harrelson? Lock, stock, and suit, smoking barrels. You're talking about Natural Born Killers. Natural Born Killers. Yes, that one. Nope. But oh. you're now closer to the right answer. Interesting. I think. Give I'm me another sure. clue. This movie was written by one of my favorite writers, and has my favorite scene, or one of my favorite scenes that he's ever written. You have not seen this movie, but you okay. know about it. You know that you should see it. You have not seen it yet, though. It's also my favorite movie that this guy has ever written. Is it True Romance? It is True Romance. Okay. And I just mentioned when uh, we talked about the, the trailer, Warley War Clarence is the uploader. The uh, Christian Slater character in that movie is named Clarence Warley. So the guy just inverted his name, and that was his YouTube name. So we didn't talk about True Romance, but I mentioned True Romance very, very briefly. Okay. Okay. Number three is from the 80s, from 1983. 86, I believe. Let me just confirm that. Yep, 1986, and has a direct tie to this movie. Robocop? Also, this is the other one that I've mentioned this episode. Robocop? No. 86, Mm -hmm. we mention it this episode. Mm -hmm. Another action movie, but this is definitively action. 
It's a sequel. It's a sequel to a movie that's not action. <laughs> God. It has been covered on this network, I think, just once, maybe. But, like, five movies from this franchise have been covered by this network. Five different movies? from Is it Mad Max something? Nope. I think there's only been two of those movies that have been covered on this network. So this movie was covered by The Contenders. Okay. The f- first? Actually, all the movies in this franchise have been covered because HTML did their entire franchise. Interesting. But this movie was covered by The Contenders. The third one was covered by Mike, for obvious reasons. There were two prequels, one of which was covered by both Charlize and by Real Bad. Nico and Kevo covered all of them for a recent run on HTML. It's an action sequel to a movie, to a horror original. You have Damn, all the clues, Mr. Not... Police. And Charlize is in one of them. She's in the first prequel, yeah. Oh, Aliens? Aliens, yes. Alien. Correct. Number yeah. three. And then number four, ooh, I don't know how to get to here for you. This is a lot of people's, this is not going to help you, but I'm going to say it's a lot of people's favorite movie of all time. 569 fans on Letterboxd, average rating of a four. It stars a guy that I would say at one point was likely your favorite actor, or at least one of your favorite actors. Not so anymore. Ooh, is it American Beauty? No. It is a movie about movie making, a movie about movies from 1994. A lot of people's favorite movie. A movie about making movies from 94. Mm-hmm. Black and white. The guy, white. so the star of this movie and the director of this movie worked together probably four or five times. Is it like Clerks? No. But it, you're doing much better with years today than you normally do. You were only one year off for Robocop, one year off for Clerks. You're you're much more in the ballpark than normally when you're like, I don't know, like 25 years off. But no, that's... <laughs> You're, that's not. That's actually a really good guess. Black and white, they work together. Actually, that's oh, a really, like all of the clues I gave you led you to Clerks, but no, it's a it's a wildly different movie than Clerks. Although it is a comedy, also. <laughs> okay, but it's a movie about making movie. I don't know. Mm-hmm. The, okay, so both the actor and the director, I would say, many people think the best things that both of them ever did were together, and they kind of stopped working together, and their careers have both sort of gone downhill. Although. The actor is best known for a franchise that he did after working with this director that has nothing to do with a director. But, like, movies that made billions of dollars. Interesting. But it's a comedy, mm-hmm. and these guys work together, and it's He plays a real person. This guy plays a real person, a, a real former director. Yeah, and it's not, like, disaster artist. No, but there's a lot spiritually in line with that. I don't know. I don't know. Ed Wood. Oh, okay. Ed Wood. That makes sense. Yeah. But it's Johnny Depp and Tim Burton. And everybody yep. said that like their best movies were together. Yep. But then Johnny Depp would obviously go on to be Jack Sparrow. But yeah, so Strange Days, True Romance, Aliens, and Ed Wood. Pretty solid top four. Yeah, pretty solid. I like that. Shout out Cinema Gulp. YouTube.com slash user slash Beanjamage1. They have a YouTube channel, Cinema Gulp. So... All right, Joe, next week we have a double dose of Michelle Rodriguez. So earlier this lap, Haley was supposed to have Finding Nemo as part of Reef Week, one of her two picks this lap, because she had joined after we had last lap scheduled. What was going to be her second pick is now her first pick. It's a movie that I had never heard of until she recommended it. It's a movie starring Michelle Rodriguez, a movie called Milton's Secret, which I think came out in the last 10 years or so. Milton's Secret. I don't know what this is at all. It's from 2016. Why does it have a lifetime title here? Starring Michelle Rodriguez. Yeah, I don't know. Like, when she sent the thing in, I was like, oh, this must be a 
memory loss movie, and I click on it, and I'm like, oh, it's a Michelle Rodriguez movie that I just never heard of. Interesting. And this guy's really famous. Who is it? Like, the main character that's, like, in all these pictures. The old guy? Yeah. It's Donald Sutherland. That's Kiefer yeah. Sutherland's dad. That's the guy that's President yeah. Snow from the Mockingjay movies, from the Hunger Games movies. Yeah, he's yep. been in a bunch of stuff. That's young. I don't know what role Michelle Rodriguez plays on Letterboxd. She's top billed, whether that means anything or not. But 11-year-old Milton Adams is growing up in an uncertain world, so maybe... maybe So Michelle Rodriguez plays Ms. Ferguson. I'm guessing maybe a teacher? teacher? I don't know. I'm guessing, yeah. I'm guessing a teacher, too. Or has 87 people who have seen it on Letterboxd. I know I'm sort of spoiling that game, but I'm just like letting you know that like uh, this is going to be a hard one to find. But it does have what's kind of cool is one of the, maybe the first movie that we have uh, done this with. But there is the library subscription service called Hoopla, part of that. So you can watch it legally if your library is part Hoopla of that system. enabled. Yeah. Yes. That's so cool. that's on Tuesday. And then on Friday, we're going to talk about the, I, th- I want to say like the next movie from the beginning of her career that we have not talked about yet. We've mentioned it earlier this lap. We're going to talk about SWAT, which is a movie that I've not seen in forever, Ooh. but I used to love. Uh, that was with her and Colin Farrell and probably a bunch of other people that I'm forgetting now. But yeah. next week, Milton's Secret and then SWAT, double deuce of Michelle Rodriguez as we continue Michelle Rodriguez' lap. Looking forward Sounds to that. Good. I've never seen or heard of, really, Milton's Secret, and I've seen SWAT, but not seen it in forever. So very cool. And then also, yeah. of course, two episodes of Lost coming at you next week. But Joe, any other thoughts about Strange Days or any other parting wisdom, pearls of wisdom, before we uh, pack it up and come back next time? That was a good movie. Go watch Strange Days. It's really awesome if you can find it. And hopefully, you know, it comes back at streaming somewhere. Like, it's one of those movies where, like, not every movie we cover is worth paying four or six bucks or whatever to rent it. But, like, if this was available, I would recommend, and I know that you would too, to rent it. So if it's available somewhere, if you can buy it used or new or whatever... Go do that because it's cool and it's worth seeing. Feels all day at Rasputin. Go there. Oh, yeah. Well, let's keep a lookout. For all things Too Fast, Too Forever, you can go to cageclub.me, facebook.com slash Too Fast, Too Forever, or at Too Fast, Too Forever on Twitter and Instagram. Email us, family at cageclub.me. Check out our Patreon page at TooFastTooForever.com and come back on Tuesday for Milton's Secrets. What is the secret? I guess we'll find out. (laughs) I'm Joey Lewandowski. I'm Joe, too. And we'll tell you all about it when we see you again.